And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon whatever the case may be, wherever you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, live, of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when as we get closer to tomorrow, here in the land of enchantment, it is uh, 10 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, as we get closer to tomorrow, all hell could break loose, even if it already has not and is running around and being chased by uh, the Keystone Cops. Uh, what I mean by that will become clear as the morning progresses, or the afternoon or evening, depending upon where you are. Um, what we're going to talk about tonight is what's going to happen tomorrow, which is the uh, legal, political, you-know-what is going to hit the rotating kitchen appliance coming out of Washington, D.C., because tomorrow is Halloween, and tomorrow in the NDAA, which is the National Defense Authorization Act, signed every year by the president, um, this president, President Biden, last January, signed an NDAA, which was authorized and approved by both houses of the Congress last year, and in that provision of law, there was an amendment by a Republican senator and a Democratic senator, which basically mandated under law that 180 days after the uh, uh, in, 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 into this year, which uh, takes place on the uh, stroke of midnight, literally tonight, but business really doesn't open in Washington until uh, tomorrow morning, there had to be made public a the first of an annual report by the government by the congress on the state of uap ufo investigations in all its extraordinary um implications and details uh in fact i can kind of read you some of the interesting stuff that is supposed to be in it um let me see if I can find the right pew, as my grandmother used to say. Uh, yes, uh, the amendment to the uh, uh, 2022 NDAA by Senators Kristen Gillibrand and Marco Rubio uh, contained the following. Um, all kinds of uh, revelations on the military and NASA UAP investigations from annual classified and public reports to funding for the investigations, to the establishment of a new office to handle these reports and these investigations, to a demand for answers from across the board like who makes UAPs, do they cause health effects, and whether or not we, meaning the U.S. government, have any of them in our possession. All of that, by law, tomorrow is going to hit the public fan in Washington at some time after probably 8 or 9 a.m. And then we'll see where it goes. And that's, of course, why my lead guest tonight is uh, Stephen Bassett, who has been on this lonely, lonely, lonely trail of public disclosure of UFO, UAP, whatever you want to call it these days, investigations, reports, developments for literally decades. Well, his uh, time in the sun has come because we have a very interesting and very complicated show tonight to let him go through at great leisure 
um, a very complicated three hours because we're basically talking about something that became known in regular political parlance many, many years ago as the October Surprise. And no, I don't think it was the very bewildering and increasingly confusing attack on uh, Paul Pelosi, the husband of the current uh, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. That may be uh, in that category, but it may not, it will not take precedence if what's going to happen again by law tomorrow does in fact. Um, we want to go to, for you who are new to the other side of midnight, we want to go to the website, the other side of midnight.com, click on tonight's banner, which says very elegantly, um, uh, the real 2022 October surprise with a question mark, and then you click under that banner on my name. That takes you to fast links to items in radio with pictures, item number one. I'm putting this on the board again because it's coming up fast, as I used to say at the Kentucky Derby on the inside. Um, Two weeks from, well, maybe a week and a half from tonight, there's going to be an effort to launch the first unmanned version of the huge spacecraft rocket system, the SLS Orion system, under the Artemis banner to take human beings, Americans, back to the moon. On the 14th, on the wee hours of the 14th in Washington, D.C., East Coast time, Artemis 1 is supposed to leave the launch pad. Well, this coming week on Thursday at noon, there will be a briefing Uh, at NASA headquarters. It'll be available for press folks and uh, on social media uh, via the website that is listed there as item number one. Just click on that. That will take you to the NASA Artemis blog. You can find out all the details. The actual rollback of the uh, stack, as it's called, the rocket and the spacecraft, will begin about 12 hours later in the pre-dawn hours of Friday, Um, November 4th and that will take uh, all night and there'll be live coverage on YouTube from NASA cameras and all that and then it will sit there from the 4th for 10 days till the 14th at which time it's supposed to launch at 12.07 a.m. Eastern which is 10.07 our time our show uh, on the night of the 13th goes on the air at 10 like right now And so we're going to try, depending upon how the count has gone, to switch live to Cape Canaveral and bring you the opening of a remarkable campaign to go back to the moon and photograph with an incredible array of HD, state-of-the-art, incredible resolution camera technology, all the damn ruins that are there that I've been talking about for over 20 or 30 years. And that will open up a whole new can of worms to back up, to buttress, to complement what's going to happen tomorrow in Washington. Item number two, this is now um, uh, Bryce Zabel's column, which kind of got me on this uh, track. This is the Here Comes the October Surprise column he wrote a couple weeks ago for the debrief, and uh, you can read his own words there. Item number three, now this is interesting. Um, We were talking about a moment ago the 2022 National Defense Authorization Act. 
as you may know or may not know, uh, Congress tries to stay at least a year ahead of these authorizations. So the 2023 NDAA, which is basically the defense budget, you know, the, the, the Pentagon, all the military services, the intelligence agencies, homeland security, all that security stuff is under one big umbrella that's, you know, a lot of money, a trillion dollars, give or take. Um, that will be enacted in this year, and it will take effect next year in uh, fiscal 2023. Well, in this coming, not 2022, but the 2023 NDAA, there is a section that Steve's going to talk about tonight where the Congress, the Congress and their wisdom, specifically through the Senate Intelligence Committee Appropriations Bill, and we'll define all that, they literally say that there are two categories of these UAPs, UFOs, that the government is now openly trying to deal with. One is the earth crap, the earth noise, the earth clutter, the earth, you know, stuff that's just made by somebody and either misidentified or a secret program or whatever. They also carve out the fact that there are, again, in this language, informal Washington ease a category of these vehicles, these craft, these phenomena, which are unidentified as being from Earth. In other words, they are not man-made. And there is specific application of the law to that category and direction of the federal government of how to handle their investigation. This is a major breakthrough in terminology, in language, in law, and Stephen and I are going to have a lot of fun talking about that in the next few minutes. Item number four. Now, you remember this whole modern era of so-called government openness regarding UFOs after decade and decade and decade of obfuscation and hiding and confusion and deliberate misinformation and denial and the Robertson panel and all of that was basically, there's nothing here to see, move along, move along, move along. Well, the New York Times published an article in 2017, in December, which basically changed all that in a front page piece because it listed sightings over two U.S. Navy fleets, battle groups, on the West Coast and the East Coast um, that had been occurring for years before the article appeared. Well, yesterday, another New York Times article appeared by a separate reporter quoting one name source, a public relations person at the Pentagon, referring to a whole bunch of unnamed Pentagon X, you have no idea who they are and what their expertise really is, basically saying, never mind, it's all, of, uh, you know, it's all a false alarm. There's no such things as aliens or UFOs or ETs. It's all just junk and noise and foreign technology and drones. So on that note, my first guest tonight is Stephen Bassett. Stephen and I have been friends and activists and colleagues for far too long to remember. Um, he is a disclosure advocate and the executive director of something called the Paradigm Research Group, founded back in 1996 to end the government-imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial-related phenomena. And you can read the rest of his bio there. I want, do not want to waste time going into the details that you can read for yourself. So without further ado, Stephen, is it hitting the rotating kitchen appliance yet? 
Mr. Bassett. Unmute, Steve. This should become one of those automatic things where you're on Skype and it, it could be something's happening. It could be interfered with. Once I get that there brain chip in, in, in my head, the one that I think Elon is preparing for me right now, it, it, it will have the ability to automatically unmute whenever you're supposed to be in these things. It's one of the many advantages that are going to come from that. Well, this goes along with my other grandmother saying, which was, you know, to be sure to engage brain before putting mouth into gear. So this day's it's brain plus Skype. Anyway, did did anything I go over uh, strike you as radically wrong? Uh, Not radically wrong. A couple things uh, clarify, but... uh, let me let me uh, say first of all, I'm going to do my best to talk slow tonight. Good. This is not this is not my for today, but I'm going to do that. Well, I'm going well, to I, let me kind of give people an outline for where we're going. We're going to do Stephen first. We'll probably hold him past the bottom of the hour. Barbara Honiger, who was a member of, in the White House, who actually witnessed firsthand a huge October surprise that literally stole an election. She's the middle of the program. And then at the end, we're going to kind of talk about the big picture. What does this all mean? What could what's going to happen tomorrow and in the ensuing days mean? And we're going to try to look at it from the 30,000 foot perspective. So we have a kind of a mobile and, and facile time timeline here to move around. So, yes, take as much time as you need, because people need to really get the details yeah. of what could happen. Yeah. Plus. Uh, I'm going to be reading very slow because when you're dealing with government language <laughs> and bills, what can I say? All right. Okay. So there are three things on the table that are, I think, very important right now. One of them is the uh, the defense appropriations bill, and the language that I'm referring to is in the Senate Bill 5403, which is essentially the final bill. It's incorporating the earlier material put in the house bill i think part of that was an amendment etc but as most people know there's kind of a back and forth and eventually one house or the others pretty much got the final version and then they they do have a a uh, reckon i don't know what they call it a reconciliation meeting but you sometimes they don't even need it and then it's it's passed and it goes to the president the bill as it is in the 5403 as essentially uh, uh championed by mark warner the senate intel committee now, we're, we're, almost, we are talking about the 2023 bill not yet passed versus exactly. the 2022, which is going to come at us tomorrow with this report. Uh, 20, yeah, we're talking about Senate Bill 5403 as part of the National Defense Appropriations for 2023. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. And, and that's what you want to look for if you want to search. Just search up Senate Bill 5403. And you can you can read the whole thing if you've got uh, the inclination. The second thing I want to talk about is the recently announced the or they finally recently announced the people that are going to be on the NASA UFO group. Uh, I say UFO group, UAP study group <laughs> that uh, they uh, announced they were going to do a number of months ago. Well, I'm doing it and I announcing the people. I only know one of them, uh, Scott Kelly, who is the brother of Mark Kelly who was the senator running to return to the Senate in Arizona uh, in the uh, midterm election in uh, less than a week. Scott Kelly is a very straight-up guy, but he's military. So depending upon his orders, 
he will either tell us the truth or he will tell us a version of the truth. It's going to be fascinating to find out which. The third thing I'm going to talk about is the just published article in the New York Times by Julian Barnes. I'm going to start with that article because it's the least important of the three. Uh, so, I, on, so the article uh, is getting plenty of te- attention on Twitter, but it hasn't been picked up by too many other publications yet. Yeah, there's will. an actual link to it. It's my item number four. Just click on it. You can read the entire story there. Uh, that's good. Okay. So it's um, – uh, I'm trying to get the title of the silly thing up. Oh, what is the title of it? I had it right here. Just a moment. It is – okay. Many military – U.S.O. reports are just foreign spying or airborne trash. Now, <laughs> a lot of people are upset with this uh, article. Uh, and I, I will say with confidence that down the line, Julian Barnes, who is a very accomplished national security reporter with the Washington Post since 2018, and prior to that, he was in similar roles with the Wall Street Journal. It's a heavy hitter, okay? This is not going to be one of his finest articles. He's going to uh, – uh, it's not going to age very well. It's going to be a bit of embarrassment, but whatever. Okay, this is, this is what he's just published. It is first notable that this article was published just prior yep. to the report that's about to come out, all right, virtually simultaneous with the announcement of the uh, group, uh, the group uh, that the NASA is putting together. Uh, and so that's that's notable, right? And I don't think an accident. But what your listeners need to understand, uh, and I'm hearing some a lot of noise clicking there. Uh, what you, your, your, your listeners need to understand is that covering national security is not easy. All right, we've got some there's some of the best reporters cover national security. There's only three ways though that you get information for your articles, no matter how powerful your paper. One is the front office, I guess you could say the press office, mm-hmm. close person office, uh, which is Susan Gao. Uh, there is, of course, the spokesperson. They give press conferences, okay? Uh, you sometimes get information there and ask questions. The third way is that you uh, talk to somebody at the uh, within the Pentagon and you report what they told you using their name, which doesn't happen much at all. You either have a name source or sometimes an unnamed source. Most of the time you have unnamed sources. And the simple reason is, is that the national security in this country is vast. It's a trillion dollar business and it's involved in uh, an enormous amount of classified uh, uh, activity classified at all kinds of levels, and even the stuff that isn't classified, in most cases, they don't want to be, uh, they would rather you didn't know about it, but if you do know about it, they want to talk about it, they want to minimize the exposure of the people. And so what happens is over the years, uh, the top reporters have, have, have learned and worked out how you deal with this vast military intelligence complex that we have. And aside from, again, going to the press, occasional press briefings, aside from talking to the front office, you have your sources. And these unnamed sources, assuming you're a top journalist, they're, they're real, and you know them. Your editor knows the name. 
And over time, you learn that the information they give you is, is good, all right? And because of that, you will put material in articles many times referring to these sources. And the American people have come to accept this. There, there are some that haven't, and I get that. There are certain activists for uh, openness, transparency, and what have you. But the American people get it. That if, if we want the New York Times and the Washington Post to know something about, as much as possible, about what's going on in our vast military intelligence complex, which occasionally goes over and wages wars with countries and kills lots of people, then these reporters have got to have sources that they can go to and get some information. Okay? Now, one thing people now, need to know is that sometimes the official government position is leaked through a source, even an anonymous source, because nobody wants to go on the record or it's more appears to be coming from a leak from inside as opposed to an official party line, right? Well, that's, that's again, that's not unusual. That's true in, in, in almost any arena of reporting. Uh, in other words, there are reporters that want to find out things that are going on, say, at the Pentagon, and there are unnamed sources that they trust, and they know their names, and their editor knows their names, and they can go to them and get that information. And there are circumstances where the Department of Defense, or the Air Force, or any other entity has some information they would like to get out to the people for whatever reason, but they, they can't just call up Julian Barnes and say, hi, this is General So-and-so. <laughs> I want you to tell the people about this. Be sure to use my name. And so there's a, there's the, there is this back and forth and cooperation. By and large, it is necessary. By and large, it's primarily constructive, but there is a great deal of potential. There is a potential for problems. All right. Now, but hang on, that, hang on, hang on. Before we get into the weeds, I want to ask you a really important question. The original New York Times break in December 2017, top of the fold, UFO story, Pentagon, images, photographs, came from Helene Cooper. The new story, the new story. Not exactly, not exactly, not exactly. That that story starts with uh, uh, Leslie Kane, who who gets the gun camera footage Ralph Blumenthal uh, is, is recruited, and they take it into the New York Times, and the New York Times assigns Helene Cooper okay. uh, because, obviously, they need that. Uh, so, in a sense, it ends up being a three-party, but she is the New York Times staff writer – or not writer, but she, she's a high-level national security person, so she's in front of it. Yeah, okay. The, the, reason story, I'm, the reason I'm asking is because she was on NBC shortly thereafter, a year or two after – and she made a big deal of being on the inside on this story. And they said to her, NBC News itself said, would you become our person on this story as it develops? And she said, I can't think of anything I'd rather do. The fact that her name is conspicuously not on this story, I think, is significant. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Julian Barnes wants to get some information and write a story. He's going to write a story. She is she like he is covering national security. It's a rather big topic, and so there's constant stories, thousands of hundreds of stories. Yeah, but and what so if her idea, sources differ from his sources? I have no idea. Uh, maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Again, he did a story. He got he talked to people. He got information. He wrote the story. What, what whether she her sources were used, I don't know. Whether she should be involved is irrelevant. 
by and large. I'm simply, let's just talk about his story, okay? And so he writes this thing. Now, what I can say about this story, which I'll get into in a little bit, is that, first of all, it's got some really bad information in it. It has got some information that's flat out wrong. Uh, it is, uh, it's not balanced. It has a clear purpose, right? I'm not saying it's Julian Barnes's purpose, but I'm saying that the information that was provided to him is one of those cases where they, where, where there was a connection between him and important people within the Pentagon and he was chosen. He might not have been the only one looking for a story, but he was the one, here's the stuff. Right and, and and he writes it up, all right. Now there is there are a lot of problems here, and I don't want to beat beat this too too badly, but um, essentially there is the primary purpose of this story reflects or what the thing you need to understand about the, the Barnes story, which again I, I we're not going to I'm not going to be reading to you. People are going to have to go find it. Well, it's it's item that, number four in my items tonight on the page. Okay, good. They can be reading it while I'm telling you. Is that, as you well know, as I've said several million times, what is going on right now is not uh, the government has finally made a decision to try to find out what this phenomenon is. That is not what is going on at all. Uh, the government's known about what this phenomenon is for seven decades, seven plus decades. What is going on is that a, uh, I guess you could say a stage play is being produced. To, uh, for purpose? To I think purpose. the term is kabuki theater. Well, that's sometimes used, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go there. I, I think this is more serious and more, I think, appropriate and more important. So not kabuki theater, but rather a stage play with a script designed to get somewhere, to achieve an outcome. All right. Uh, and the outcome is disclosure. The whole purpose of this is to get to a position, the very final act, the very final moment of the play, uh, when disclosure takes place, the curtain comes down, then the actors come out in front of the, the, the curtain, and a huge applause, and everybody's partying. Now, one of the fundamental problems in conducting this, this play, this show, uh, for the reasons that they're doing it, fundamentally stems from the fact that, one, they have known about this phenomena, they have been studying this phenomena, researching this phenomena, in deeply classified programs with huge sums of money since 1947, okay? At least. And that's one problem. The second problem they have is over the, inter the subsequent years, more and more people, in, in terms of millions and tens of millions of people, and I'm just, let's just confine it to the United States, but it, it could extend this to the rest of the world, have figured out that, all right? Know that, know that, yeah, they've been dealing with this issue all along. You can see that, okay, that's the first problem they're facing as they try to do this. The second problem is that for a number of reasons, which I happen to consider valid, they simply can't rip the Band-Aid off and just say, hey, look, we're done. It's over. Hey, ZT's here. Sorry we didn't tell you sooner. They can't do that. So that is the second problem they face. And then the third problem they face, in order to uh, for this play to, be, to go forward properly, like plays of a certain era in the United States, there's certain words you can't say. There's certain things you can't show on the stage there, right? Wouldn't pass the, the censors or whatever. In other words, you've got you to follow some rules. You've certainly got to follow the script. 
And if you do, the play goes well, everybody likes it, it gets good reviews. That's the third problem they face. And within that problem, there is uh, a couple of dynamics. One of them, one of the key aspects of this three-act play that's been going on since 2017, is that the thing, the play's fundamental uh, theme is national security. This is a national security play. Okay, we're right. at the bottom of the hour. Hold it there. My guest this morning, my first guest is uh, Stephen Bassett. He's been on top of the disclosure bandwagon for decades. And we're talking tonight about what might happen in the next few days, the next few weeks, as this very messy problem of government disclosure, however the random walk takes us in that direction, unfolds. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back on this Sunday night, October 30th, 2022. Just a few hours away now from which by law was mandated, the Congress released its first annual report on the status of the U.S. government investigation of UFOs, UAP phenomenon under a formal government Pentagon office devoted to trying to, in the law, figure it out. And what I'm talking about tonight with my first guest, Stephen Bassett, is how that messy process of a government slowly, painstakingly, torturously getting to the ultimate conclusion that millions of Americans have arrived at decades ago, which is that somebody not from here is coming here and interacting with us, 
We're talking about how that process in Washingtonese unfolds. And we're starting with that New York Times story of yesterday, which basically said, uh, remember all that stuff we wrote about back in 2017 about the Navy and UFOs and UAPs and crap that streak up from the altitude of the stratosphere down to the deck of the ocean in seconds? Uh, well, never mind. Anyway, Stephen, please pick it up. Well, to be, it, it's not saying never mind. It's much more subtle than that. But again, the context is this. There were two, two, two basic themes this play could have had. One was national security. The other was extraterrestrial. They knew they had, the fundamental theme had to be national security in service to the much larger group of Americans who either simply don't know much about this subject at all, right? Or maybe they do know about the subject, but they view it as a national security matter. There is a still very large, but not as large group of people in this country that think this place should be about extraterrestrials, period. Why are we screwing around? And I get that. But they made the choice, national security. So that's, that's the second, first thing. Another thing. So in terms of the script, there's all kinds of limitations of what they can say and do. Because if they, if they do not stick with the script, things can get out of hand very quickly, which is why. Well, wait, when, when you, you say get out of hand, what do you mean? Oh, uh, you, suddenly you've got media suddenly coming at you from six different directions with questions that are far harder to answer. Uh, you, you, you've got uh, uh, much more confusion. You, you, you're upsetting members of Congress that may shut down. You could create blowback within the DOD, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, if the play is not, if the play is not going well, a lot of the cast is going to quit and the thing could fall apart. And, of course, they don't want that because they desperately need to get this job done. And so the language has got to be national security. They're, they're limited to what they can say. One of the most significant things, uh, one of the more significant things about this as it's played out is you saw the transition from UA, UO, UFO to UAP. This is absolutely critical. Uh, if you go through the entire three very large sections of the bill, Dr. three, UFO is not there at all. Okay? UAP is actually not there because now they are referring to unidentified aerial undersea phenomena. All right, which is fine, okay, uh, underwater phenomena. Rather. So, but essentially UFO is not there at all. And the reason for that is that, and one reason that a lot of people, including myself, were very hard to try to make this happen was that we knew that getting the members of Congress to stick their neck out, try to pass legislation, give interviews to Congress for the DOD to respond uh, two language in the bills and make their own statements, UFO was poison, was a poison pill. It just was. We all know that in every area of interest and inquiry, there are certain words you don't use. For instance, if you want to talk about race, there's some words you just don't use. You use those words and your efforts are going nowhere. UFO has become that kind of term. Now, it's not totally gone away, but the point is we established it enough could be used to describe the phenomena. And so that's helpful. That's one small example of what's necessary. But in the more complex ways this is playing forward within the national security issue, what they have done 
this is what they primarily accomplished in the last three years in terms of multiple bills. And I should mention that the Bible, the bill that's about to be passed in the 2023 uh, National Security Act, is it doesn't replace everything in the, the two previous bills. There are stuff in those bills that still apply. And so if you want to understand the whole status of all this, you actually have to read all three bills. <laughs> what can I say? And then you get a larger picture. Don't just assume that everything in the current bill, ah, that describes what's going on. But what's in this current bill is extremely important. We'll get to that. And so what they did was say, look, we're going to acknowledge publicly that this phenomenon is real, which, you know, anybody would have a brain would have known 70 years ago. It's obviously real. Secondly, we're going to acknowledge that this phenomenon has characteristics which we, we do not think our, our military can, can uh, achieve or even the military of our enemies, Soviet Union, China. We'll say that. Not saying it's extraterrestrial. Okay? They're not saying it's not man-made. What they, and, and, and that's because you use that phrase. That's not the phrase being used. What they are saying, it is not technology that we have. Now, when you, any reasonable person, <laughs> reads their statements about the technology of this, 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 uh, this phenomena, the obvious answer is, of course, it's not man-made, but they can't say that. And you may say, well, what does it matter? It matters a lot because the language that's used as you try to maneuver the politics of this to get to the hearings and so forth is absolutely critical. I think if anybody has learned anything in the last years, that language is critical to political outcomes. You just can't say anything you want or phrase it any way you want and expect it all work out. No. And so they're working back and forth between, okay, it's got characteristics we don't have, and this event or that particular gun camera footage, boy, that's, uh, don't understand that. And then they're over here with the fact that, oh, yes, there are technologies out there uh, that are advanced that are in the hands of our enemies, and some of these sightings could be that. Okay? All right. So... <clears throat> And they've been balancing that out pretty well. However, this article does not do that. What this article does, it's a kind of pushback. It's a hit piece. I, now, I don't even call it a hit piece. It is a pushback, at least in terms of the people that talk to Julian Barnes. Now, the next thing you need to understand is Julian Barnes is a reporter. His job is to report about national security. And so he talks to people at the Pentagon, and they tell him things, and he writes it up. If that source is established with him, he is not writing an opinion piece. And so people are getting very mad at Julian Bond because he's not writing to their satisfaction what they want to hear and acting like he's a, an opinion writer, he op-ed writer. He is not. This reflects what he was told okay, by people who he, he relied on as known sources. Now, what he will eventually find is that these sources who, who have given him probably excellent information in the past that he has a relationship with have lied to him in this instance, misled him, misdirected him, and that will probably anger him, and maybe it will damage the relationship. I don't know. But ultimately, what the article does ahead of the report that's coming out, 
ahead of the massive election that's about to take place, which could change the friggin' country in ways I can't even imagine, it's trying to throw some oil on the fire. It was uh, starting to, how would you say, oil on the water. It was starting to heat up. And so they, they put the emphasis that you talk about certain events, certain sightings, like the gimbal and whatever, and they offer alternative explanations. When anybody that's familiar with this issue knows that's been heavily looked into, okay? Now, Stephen, Susan I think Gow- you moved away from your mic. You're much lower. Oh, it fell off. It fell off uh, on, the, on the ground. Hang on. Technology uh, uh, Susan- will be the death of us all. Uh, Susan Gow jumps in, right? Uh, and make some bland yeah. statements like uh, the Pentagon remains committed to principles of openness. Yeah, openness, she's, she's but must the balance. best person for the Pentagon and the peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she understand. Susan Gow doesn't make policy. No, she's, she's not just running a anything. She's telling people she's what mouthpiece. she is told to okay. tell them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we need to be generous with Susan Gow. Okay. Uh, See, what I'm not generous like, with Julian about is that he did not go to Helene Cooper sources who I'm sure would have had a very different take on the things that his guys were saying. Uh, well, again, journalism is not that simple. Uh, he gets information. He, it, it, his sources he believes are valid. It's current. It's topical. He writes it up. If he wants to do a full investigation piece, well, he could have taken three months and gone to her sources, a lot of other sources, and God knows. But that, that, they're writing an article, Okay. Okay? Maybe she wasn't available. Maybe she didn't want to share. So I don't know. All I know is this is not an unusual article. Okay, look, we are it's running out of time. We need, we need to move on, okay? Because you've got two other legs on your stool here. Uh, well, okay. All I can say is that uh, this article seems to downplay. It seems to contradict and so forth. Don't put too much stock in it. It's not that important. Uh, it's kind of a pushback. We'll probably know more later, but Julian probably already knows, and we'll certainly know soon enough, that a great deal of what is in this article is wrong, and there's already been plenty of coverage showing it to be wrong, and so it'll eventually sort out. Okay, So that's the situation with that article. Now, the second thing that has happened, which is pretty significant, is that the uh, government announced the actual people that are going to be in the NASA study group. All right. The one that they said they were going to do, which and is ostensibly God, did. for people who got in the in the you know, down in the weeds in this. The Pentagon is military. We all know that. All right. Army, Navy, Marines, et cetera, et cetera. NASA is supposed to be civilian scientists, level headed, yeah. ordinary folks looking at science with expertise, objective, not with an agenda. In other words, but what they don't know is NASA is also a part of the military-industrial complex in the legislation that created NASA. So the first thing about NASA, which is a lie, is it's not really a civilian agency. It just well, I did, makes I, I out just, like one. I disagree. NASA it's is in the law, Stephen. Come on. I, I, know, I know the law. NASA is a civilian space agency that has a – certain limitation on it under the 1958 Space Act regarding national security matters. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it's, it's, it is... It's on a leash. It's on a leash with respect to certain things. That's not unusual. I think that probably applies to a lot of 
non what you would call uh, military or defense entities. Uh, so it's not unusual. But in NASA's case, and given the issue is so profound and important, the fact that uh, if NASA were find a complete uh, found a complete civilization on Mars, they couldn't say a damn thing about it unless the Pentagon allowed them to. Okay, so it, it so it's always been under that that uh, directives and Can that I has limited. Interject real quick, Stephen. Yeah. Yes, Keith. Yeah. Go ahead. Washington Post, 1965. I found this when I was looking up the articles from 1924 about how we received radio signals from Mars for Nightline, and that article in that. 1965 Washington Post article said that the unions at NASA were upset because key positions were being given to retired military personnel. Now, retired uh, retired military personnel are technically civilians, but they still have their oath of allegiance and oath of uh, or allegiance to the military. And if they're told to do something, they're going to do it. So the military did take over NASA. It's covertly, but they're in place to keep things in place because we that was four years before we went to the moon so they wanted to keep things under wrap and they have Again, done I, that quite well right look i we could we can you know in some ways we're talking about approach and words I, I i don't like the phrase the military took over nasa uh it's hardly surprising that former military would go to work well for given NASA that of, of all of us here i'm the nasa expert yes the military took over nasa let's move on okay fine okay so NASA was unable to address this issue. It was notable that as things unfolded a couple of years ago, uh, they made a bold move in bringing Bill Nelson in as the, uh, the head, uh, given his background and so forth, political and an astronaut. And then, of course, they indicated they were going to step into the issue. That was significant. And then they indica- indicated they were going to set up a group, and that was even more significant. So in terms of the play that's unfolding, the – NASA has been brought – in other words, like a play unfolds and different characters keep turning up as you – you know, in Act 1, Act 2, right, for the play to be proper and right. NASA has now been brought up on the stage and is now performing in front of the audience and doing its thing. That's a good thing uh, and appropriate it, it, because one of the fundamental needs of this play is that all the characters that are involved and all the organizations and so forth get a chance to show their stuff in front of the, the audience – do the right thing, do it transparently in order to, quote, save face and look as good as possible when things finally break as we reach the end of the play. I get it. Who doesn't want to be liked? Now, very quickly, though, to give you an idea of the importance of this group, this is – you know, we talk about the Robertson panel. My, my God. Uh, in addition to uh, – well, you have the head. The head person is a astrophysicist, okay? The group also includes an associate professor of computational and data science at George Mason, a joint professor uh, at the University of Delaware in the Department of Physics, the dean of the Graduate School of Oceanography at the University of Rhode Island, uh, an operating partner at a defense contractor, uh, a CEO of the Potomac Institute of Policy Studies, that's Think Tank, a freelance science journalist, all right, Nadia Drake, who I think is a sibling of Frank Drank. I could be wrong. Also, executive vice president of the Civil Space and External Affairs at Redwire, probably another think tank, a senior scientist at the Planetary Science Institute in Tucson, Scott Kelly, the astronaut, 
uh, the uh, president of the Association of Universities for Research and Astronomy, a deputy executive director of the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration, the executive vice president and chief technology officer of space technology company Maxar, in other words, another defense contractor or space contractor, professor of electrical and computer engineering at Boston University, acting executive director of the FAA's Office of Aviation Policy and Plans, and the associate professor of physics at the University of California. This group is massive. This is serious. This is... Okay, let let me stop you there. Have you seen Richard Dolan's latest video and his analysis of this NASA group? No, not yet. Oh, he's very negative. He thinks it's complete kabuki theater. It's all just to cover. They're going to go along with whatever the Pentagon comes out with. The New York Times story is the bellwether on, on that. He thinks it's going to be a total whitewash. He's incredibly negative. I'm trying to get him on the air. If I do, I'm going to have you come on, and we'll all have a conversation. But Dolan, who really wants this to be a disclosure process, is extraordinarily negative that we're looking at real disclosure. That's fine. Richard and I disagree on a lot of things. It's okay. I love Richard. He's a great guy. But we don't always agree on everything. The very existence of this group, the public announcement of this group at this time, is a, how would you say, a huge stamp of authenticity. Well, hang on. Let me, to, let, let me tell you what I would, if I was the administrator and putting together this panel, I would have put on the panel, if I was serious as a scientist or as an administrator, that NASA has never done for any of its planetary missions going back to Apollo. There's no anthropologist on the team. There's no archaeologist on the team. There's no one with psychology to think about how do ETs, if we're looking at ET phenomenon, how make they think in terms of interacting with the human race, et cetera, et cetera. It's all physicists. It's all administrative people. It's bureaucrats. It's nobody that could deal with real ETs except maybe for Scott Kelly, maybe. The, pressure, the process underway is not about ETs. I think I've mentioned that. It's about national security and posturing and setting up kind of a show that has to go on. In other words, this is not about, oh, we're going to do this and figure out what is going on. They already know what is going on. What they are doing is putting people on the stage and getting things done that are appropriate and, and, and look appropriate in order to set the stage for the hearings when the real heavy stuff comes forward, all right, and that's the witnesses, military witnesses, and in those hearings and that testimony which sets the stage for the president to confirm the extraterrestrial presence. Once that has happened, post-disclosure, yeah, very quickly everything will be on the table. That play will have closed. Curtains will have come down, and a new play will begin. Only this will be much broader, much more authentic, involving many more people, and it will be the real deal. Most of everything we need to know, we are not going to know until after disclosure, after the the confirmation of the ET presence. Then we're going to get that information. The government's problem is not finding out the truth. It's getting set up so that they can tell us the truth, and the pathway to that is hearings, and disclosure by the president. It is this dynamic, which I've been talking about two years, 
that I know people are struggling with, and I know it, it's tough for them. They, you know, and I could go. I don't think I'm going to have time, but I could go through the Space Act and show you, uh, not the Space Act, but the current legislation, and show you all their things they're doing, which fits the model that I'm talking about. Well, let's let, let's talk about the 2023 NDAA. Forget the Senate number; no one's going to remember that. This is the law that goes into yeah. effect next year. Sure. There's some really they, they, exactly, and one of the key things, which that Newsmax article, which is item number three tonight in my items, highlights is that the Congress mandates that the Pentagon, looking at this phenomenon, forget about Chinese drones and Iranian drones and you know things that go bump in the night that are just noise, that they literally establish a, an investigation of non-man-made technology flying around in our skies which is a razor blade away from et produced ufos so that's in the coming law to be signed by biden into law sometime between now and next year again i want to be careful there the word the term man-made is nowhere in the act by the way something that's interesting about this uh, this act is that in the article by julian bonds julian barnes a UAP acronym doesn't appear. He he uses the UFO acronym, <laughs> and he even uses the archaic version of it, which is U dot F dot U dot. Now that you see that right away says it's basically a throwback. Now whether Julian Barnes w- wanted to go well, out. Wait 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 wait. wait. In- That's real because I I read it but I didn't read it that closely. If he's done that, Stephen, I would argue that Barnes is kind of like the guy doing the hostage video. He's between the lines in a very Emily Dickinson fashion saying, read this with a jaundiced eye. It's not what I really believe. I don't know. I do know that uh, by using the acronym UFO, not UAP. It opens uh, it up to all the old symbology. Yeah, and either that is intentional by him. He's a writer. Of course it is. No, he is a journalist. He is a reporter. Okay, and 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 that's not the same thing as an op-ed writer or a fiction writer. He's a reporter. Now, is he deliberately reporting it that way because he feels that way, or is he reporting because that's what he was told? In other words, the sources that he were dealing with were, were conveying the information to him as UFO, UFO, UFO. Mm-hmm. Okay, again, there is a pushback going on here which some people are going to be worried about because, oh, my God, it's like a Robertson panel. Well, that's They're like Dolan. Throw... That's his position. It's yeah, all yeah, fake. Well, it's all leading us yeah. down to a blind canyon. Yeah, and I, I understand. Some people might think that. I don't. I don't think that's what's going on. And that is I your position. That... I wanted to clarify yeah. everything tonight before we get to the stunning stuff that could happen beginning tomorrow morning. Yeah, 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 right. Okay. Well, everything that I'm saying right now is my position. <laughs> There's no, I'm not telling other people's positions. So it, it's not clear. However, there, there are, so much has already been written about a lot of what's in Julian's article that it will quickly unravel in a way. Okay, it will it will it will kind of be picked apart, and there may be some follow up. He may write something else. I'm not really worried about it. It's not important. However, because of the timing of it, and because of the reports that are going to come out and so forth, it's possible that some people that he trusted 
who uh, were, were of a mind that they needed to push back a little on this for whatever reason. The pace was going too fast or what have you. So it may be something like or that. Or they think the thing they I, really can kill the whole thing and we'll go back to normal. Well, they can think that, but there's a snowball. But there are lots of arrogant people who think that who control government and control money. Well, who, right now they're outnumbered. Big time. I mean, in other words, there's an avalanche. I mean, look at Putin as an example of someone who's totally out of touch with reality. Well, fortunately, this is not Russia and we're not dealing with Putin. We're dealing with the Department of Defense. So that that's possible. Okay, but the other thing I want to mention is, look, folks, when it comes to reports, they're irrelevant. All right. Just forget about reports. They're irrelevant. You've got, you, have to, you have to set them up. You, you want to call for them. You can even set dates for them. And then there's also, quote, briefings. And the briefings that – private briefings that go to Congress or classified briefings are very important. But, of course, we don't see those. But all the reports they announced they're going to have, like the one that's coming up, the one we had before, whatever else, that's part of the show. And the reason I bring this up is that some people are looking at these reports. Oh, they're mandating that there will be a report every year for the next six years. Oh, I guess we'll be pretty much chasing this issue down until 2028. No, not at all. <laughs> but you, 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 can't, you can't just come out and say, look, uh, this thing is about to wrap up pretty soon. We've got time for one more report. We'll have it in six months, and then this is over. No, you have to play the game out. And the game is we, we need to do this and that and set up this and that. We need to do everything appropriate. And there should be reports and briefings and blah, 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 blah. And I get that. And all of that is setting the stage to finish for this play to move into final act. And so forget the friggin' reports. not important. Okay. Now, when you get to the act, okay, this act is loaded with big stuff. All right. I, I, we're running out of time, so let me just couple a couple of the key points. One of the most important things in, in this act, which is section 703, 4, and 5. Well, I'll tell you what. Of, let, let's not try to cram this into a blivet. So I'll bring you back, and then Barbara will, will seamlessly grade into this with her real-world example of how this really works in terms of October. And, okay. and we will do that after the top of the hour. My guest this morning is Stephen Bassett, leading it off to give us the political background, and I know it's dry and boring and all that kind of stuff because that's what politics for most people is, dry and boring and all that kind of stuff. But it's actually the way the world works, particularly if you're dealing with laws and legislation and something as enormous as a change of state for all of humanity, which this is all the foreplay for what we really, Stephen and I, and Richard Dolan and many others hope is to come. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. 
As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, October 30th, 2022. Just hours before, something very intriguing could break in Washington. And even though Stephen kind of dismisses reports as, you know, it's kind of like stuff you got to go through, what you don't understand if you're not deeply, obsessively immersed in this is that reports are the cover that reporters for the New York Times and the Washington Post and AP and the major networks and all that use to wrap themselves in the officialdom of this is the policy, this is the wisdom, this is official. And so the details of what's in this imminent, within hours now, by law mandated congressional report on UFOs slash UAPs could have interesting nuggets that another writer like Helene Cooper, who covers national security for the New York Times, and who I know is really jazzed because I saw the interview. And as uh, uh, the guy I used to work with at CBS used to say, uh, the camera never blinks. You could see her palpable excitement that the story she was covering had much more interesting roots than what she had covered so far. And that's why the fact that her byline was not on this New York Times hit piece yesterday very significant. So anyway, Stephen, um, why don't why don't we pick up where we left off? And before you, you do, let me uh, let me bring on Barbara because Barbara has been in Washington. She is a professional uh, White House person. In fact, let me give you her background because this is going to be a very crucial segue. Barbara actually saw firsthand how October surprises go down. So let me give you just a brief summary here. She was uh, a high-level government positional person, including a White House policy analyst, special assistant to the president for domestic policy, director of the Attorney General's Law Review at the Department of Justice, and for more than a decade, the senior military affairs journalist at the Naval Postgraduate School, the premier science, technology, and national security affairs graduate research university of the Department of Defense. And if that weren't enough, she's also the current chairman of the board and investigative researcher with the Lawyers Committee for the 9-11 Inquiry. So Barbara, uh, you've obviously been listening. Uh, What have we said wrong and what would you like to ask Stephen before we segue to your real world example of what I've been talking about? Can you hear me? We can hear you fine by. That's great. Um, I've been very, very interested in what Stephen has had, has 
Chad's had to say. Um, what I'd like to do is just comment on the first hour, if I could. Absolutely. And, and let Stephen finish. Exactly, other... exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah. I'd just like to comment on the first hour. Uh, and then when he's done with the other two main parts, hopefully by the bottom of uh, this hour, then I can have at least a half an hour to the top of the More second. than. We have plenty of time. Oh, all right. So anyway, um, uh, my comment, I have a major comment. I have a number of major comments. Okay. Um, the first one is uh, I want to bring people's attention to the headline again uh, of this New York Times article uh, by Julian Barnes. This was yesterday in the New York Times hard copy. I believe it actually came out uh, on my birthday, which happened to be October 28th on Friday. Happy on birthday to you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm 39 yet again. <laughs> you and you, you, you and you and Jack Benny, yes. <laughs> Just like all the rest of us are 39, right? It's amazing. Um, so anyway, um, I want to draw people's attention to the headline, which is really uh, quite shocking uh, that this is out in public. Many, this is the headline. Many military UFO, not UAP. As Stephen said, many military UFO reports are just, I underline that word as if it was not very important, just foreign surveillance spying. Okay, now, we happen to know from the, uh, from the TikTok or TikTok? TikTok, yeah. Uh, TikTok and, uh, you know, the, the, the Navy uh, pilots revelation. We happen to know in the um, in the kind of fleshing out of those that uh, at least some of those uh, videos were taken in what are called military exercise zones. So what are foreign surveillance craft? Foreign doesn't say alien; it says a foreign country. Now this is this is shocking. What foreign country? <laughs> Why are we allowing foreign? Drones in our military drill areas, which are highly secure. Nobody is supposed to go in those. Well, I have a proposal. Mm -hmm. And my proposal is, this is just a theory, but it's a pretty interesting one. And that is, um, as I recall, just as an example, whether it happened or not, I'm not sure. I think maybe it didn't happen. But I believe that before the, um, in the lead up to the Trinity test, before Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that our military invited Japanese generals to witness Trinity. Okay. So okay, hang on, Barbara, Barbara. My understanding was that that was one of the proposals to Truman, and he turned it down in favor of just doing the test and then bombing. Yes, I understand. Yeah. That's why I said I don't think it happened. No. My point is, is our, our military likes to have... Uh, our enemies know what weapon systems and surveillance systems and tracking systems and everything that we have uh, as a uh, deterrent, okay? So I'm proposing the possibility that what's really behind the curtain here, at least for some of these, because the headline says many, notice not all, many military UFOs are just, just foreign Buying drones <laughs> just, in our just, national security airspace? 
excuse me. Okay, so I just wanted to uh, to point that out because I think there's a possibility that whatever these things are, we've allowed them to be there because we want them there. Okay. That's number one. Okay. Now, um, I'd rather go into to my uh, historical context all at once, but I do have one other comment. And um, or, or let me just give you an example here from the uh, text of the article. It says, military officials believe the incidents, meaning the so-called UFO or UAP incidents, some of them, are examples of attempts to conduct surveillance by foreign military drones on our military maneuvers. <laughs> okay. I mean, that should, that should be a huge red flag. So it seems to me that they wouldn't be leaking this out uh, unless whoever, whatever country or countries, foreign countries, foreign militaries are allowed to observe our military exercises. Um, obviously, those foreign militaries and those foreign countries and presidents know who they are. And they might be threatening to make it public if we don't. Okay. Uh, and the only other thing I want to mention right now, and then we'll get into my historical context after Stephen finishes, and that is I just want to point out, and I'll do this again at the beginning of uh, my segment, and that is that the, uh, we're talking about October surprises here because it's October. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's, a, that's a good reason for it to be an October surprise. And um, I'm just going to read again what you have in your setup piece. Uh, from uh, this guy, what, what, what's his name, uh, you know, who did the article that, um, uh, anyway. It's, you it's mean Bryce Zabel? Yeah, Zabel. Yeah. So, he, so, he is, he's a former CNN and PBS correspondent, yeah. by the way. Right, I understand. So yeah, but the audience the might not. Okay. So this is the quote. In U.S. politics, an October surprise. This is from Zabel. In U.S. politics, an October surprise is a news event that may influence the outcome of the upcoming November election and could change the course of the election. And therefore, who has their finger on the nuclear button and who has the ultimate declassification authority? Mm. Okay. So this is not boring at all. Okay. So an October surprise can actually determine who becomes president, who becomes the commander-in-chief, who has their finger on the nuclear button, and who has the absolute declassification and classification authority for the United States government. Okay. So I just want to point out that when you get to my historical context, this is not accurate. An October surprise, and you're going to see from my examples, I have nine of them. Um, beginning in 19, uh, the theft of the 1980 election by an October surprise that I personally witnessed and became the whistleblower for. Um, an October surprise that's worth its salt is secret. Okay, I'm just going to leave it at that. It's not a news event. It's mm -hmm. secret. It's something that one of the two power-hungry parties and the power-hungry uh, dark money behind them it's it's what the two sides are trying to do to steal the election from the other and that is anything but uh, an open news event so anyway 
Um, I just wanted to make those comments. Um, I don't think this is boring at all. It's, <laughs> it's the bottom line of who controls the power in the world. And we're on the precipice of a major decision point in, what, oh, nine days. So, Stephen, back to you. Um, and get close to the mic. To, if someone wants to get, in order to get a proper sense of the, the, what I've been discussing, someone, you really have, someone has to read all three of the acts. Uh, this is not, I'm sure, the most stimulating thing some people might want to do. But if you read all three acts, that is the only, the, the best way to understand that what is going on now is not even remotely similar to what took place in 1969, 1952, 1953. We are in a whole nother place and we are definitely going somewhere. Okay. So uh, with respect to the current bill, most of the current bill, which has three full sections, is all kinds of uh, housekeeping, setting up programs, assigning authority. We're talking the 2023 NDAA. Three NDAA, uh, which currently you the best read is yeah, the, the current Senate. is 2022. We're talking future next year, next enactment. I'm referring to the current language of ah. 2023, okay? Because it could theoretically change, but it probably won't. And the current language is best represented in the Senate 5403 uh, bill. So, as it's written, okay? So, and by the way, that was Mark Warner's one that's the sponsor of that. Now, so it's a lot of that, but it's broad and comprehensive. It is cross-agency. It involves a huge number of people. And it confirms to me what I've already been told from my sources, that by the end of the year, there will be thousands of people working within the program that is now under a new name, uh, it's had seven names, uh, and that, that's how serious they are. Project Blue Book had a couple of people in an office. The mm. first U, UAP task force with two people in a vending machine, okay? <laughs> now, now we're talking about full-fledged cross-agency working group, huge amounts of money is going to be spent, thousands of people working. That is a whole different place. But with respect to the current bill, there's two things that are particularly profound that I want to get across. The first one is in Section 704, Section C, Section 5C. And the name, the, the name is Records of Non-Disclosure Agreements. Now, I want people to listen to this carefully and read it really slowly. Hopefully, you'll get it. Identification of non-disclosure agreements. The Secretary of Defense, the, National, the Director of National Intelligence, the Secretary of Homeland Security, the heads of such other departments and agencies of the federal government that have supported investigations of the types of events covered by subparagraph A of subsection B1, which we know what we're talking about there, and activities and programs described in subparagraph B <laughs> of such subsection and contractors emphasize that contractors this is the defense contractors okay civilian of the federal government supporting such activities and programs shall conduct comprehensive searches of all records relating to non-disclosure orders or agreements or other obligations relating 
to the type of events described in subsection A and provide copies of all relevant docu- documents to the office. That's what amazing. they are saying. That's amazing. Is they are ordering essentially the United States government to provide them a full inventory of all of the NDAs that have been keeping untold thousands of people. NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. Which is also going to obviously, and it's an NDA. That, that is not a totally precise term. It means any agreement that, that has been imposed on any member of the government, civilian agency, and even contractors that requires them to remain silent about the subject matter in this program, they want a full inventory of all of them, which means in due course, since the people that will be reviewing these within the program have security clearances, they're going to very likely not only know all the people that have been kept quiet, they're going to know all of the things they've been forced to keep quiet about. Now, And, And who ordered it? Uh, yes. So I, I, I don't I don't want to get carried away here. It's hard not to. I'm just trying to – this is just one of many things that supports the fact. The disclosure process is underway, and this truth embargo is going to end very soon. Now, let me go on to the second very important thing, okay? Protection – this is Section D. That was Section C. And then the next section is D. This is in section, overall section 704. Protection from liability and private right of action. Part one, it shall not be a violation of any law and no cause of action shall lie or be maintained in any court or other tribunal against any person for reporting any information through and in compliance with the system established pursuant to subsection B1. What have they just said there? They have said that anybody who is reporting anything about this phenomena within this, in this project as requested by this program under the various sections will be in violation of any law and there will be no cause of action against them. Now, there's some misunderstanding that people have here. This is about people reporting these things within the Navy, within the Air Force, within the NASA, within uh, any aspect of the government to their boss, right? Or in questions to privately or otherwise to members of Congress. If it's under this bill and this bill is comprehensive, they are not subject to any cause of action. Section 2. Any employee of a federal agency and an employee of a contractor for the federal government who has the authority to take, direct others to take, recommend, or approve any personal action, personnel action shall not, with respect to such authority, take or fail to take or threaten to take or fail to take a personnel action, including the revocation of suspension of security clearances with respect to any individual as a reprisal. Wow. For any reporting as described in paragraph one. And then the coup de grace, section three. <laughs> in a case in which an employee described in paragraph two 
takes a personnel action against an individual in violation of such paragraph, the individual may bring a private civil action for all appropriate remedies, including injunctive relief and compensatory and punitive damages against the government or other employer wow. or defense contractor who took personnel who took the personnel action in a federal district court of competent jurisdiction. Now, again, I'm going to get real loud here, folks, because I want <laughs> you to hear this for Christ's sake. All right, I'm watching all the falderall and all that crap going on and all the back and forth and the endless discussions and whatever. I get it. The trouble with it is that this is kind of a carryover from the whole truth embargo in the last 70 years. And as a result, people are missing the elephant in the room. It's not an elephant. It's a dinosaur in the room. Okay? What is happening here? And also, also, people are not reading the act, and they're coming up with a whole bunch of stuff that's not true. They say this is a whistleblower act. It is not a whistleblower act. They're saying the people that are coming forward are whistleblowers. They are not whistleblowers. That is not mentioned here. It is not about whistleblowers. It is about people who are giving witness and producing information important, relevant to the subject, inside the government. Not to the New York Times, not on a street corner, but within the government, which is what they've always wanted to do and been prevented from doing it. Simple case, simple example. All of the pilots, check pilots military pilots who had seen things while in duty came back and mentioned it and their superior said you will not talk about this they may have given him a piece of paper they may not have they said you will not talk about this and if you do we will take away your flight privileges that is what they're talking about whistleblower is the worst possible thing to call these people why here is what a whistleblower is a whistleblower is working for a government agency or a military uh, department and learns that the head of that department is embezzling millions of dollars from the government funding and slipping into his bank accounts in, I don't know, Tenerife or the Cayman Islands. And that person goes over that person's head to a higher authority to say, this guy is stealing us blind. And the next thing you know, that person is out of their job or demoted. That's a whistleblower reporting illegal actions within their workplace. And guess what? That whistleblower is already protected under the Whistleblower Act. That person doesn't need this act. And why does that matter? Because if you're trying to refer to these people as whistleblowers, if you're a witness inside the government, military or otherwise, and you have information you think you want to come forward, and you've got people running around the civilian world and on podcasts talking about whistleblowers, they don't want to be whistleblowers. They know what happens to whistleblowers. It's not a road you want to travel. And so we're literally shutting them back up. We're, we're really diminishing. They're willing to come forward. This is stupidity, and it's my job to fix that kind of stuff because I'm an activist, and that's what I do. Okay? All right? And so essentially all right, what they have done is they have green-lighted Every single person in every military service, every intelligence agency, every uh, defense contractor, and said, if you have something important regarding to this phenomena, you please come forward to the appropriate entity. You are covered. And why are they doing that? Is it simply because they're nice? They say you want to be nice? No, no, no. Because if 
if the most important hearings in the history of the United States are approaching, if not the world, if those hearings are going to be what leads to finally ending the truth embargo so that the human race can enter the 21st century, you need witnesses. You need all the possible witnesses you can have. Hey, we've got a bunch, no question. I know 10 or 12. I'd love to send up there tomorrow. But you can't put a witness in front of a committee you don't know exists. And so by encouraging these people to come forward, they're going to be building up, again, internally. People are, they can't come public and do this. They have to do it internally. They're internally building up a huge portfolio of witnesses they can choose from so that these hearings will blow the world's mind. Mm. Okay. That's I have a que- I have I'm one done. question. Good girl. Yeah. Go ahead, Barbara. Yeah. Um, uh, I was interested, maybe I didn't hear it, but um, you mentioned these different sections, and I agree that this, this is mind-blowingly important um, mm. and a breakthrough. So my question is, is there anything in the bill, uh, any other sections anywhere, any, anything in the text requires anyone on the inside who has any experience or believes that they've seen something requires them to come forward within the system. No, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. What you're doing at that point, right, is you're going from a a basis in which you're green lighting people to come forward if they're if they can, if they want to, if they're comfortable. But if you require them to come forward then basically everybody that knows something is under the threat of being facing judicial or internal repercussions. In other uh, words, you really put the screws to them. It. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, and you don't want to do that. You, you actually no. don't want to do that. Given the breadth and swath of people that know versus the people that don't know, even mm-hmm. if it's only one in a hundred that come forth, Barbara, that doesn't bother <laughs> me at all because there's going to be a – it's going to be Katie bar the door. There's going to be tens of thousands of people finally able to testify in public yeah, as well, to I extraordinary things. I have one other important comment, and that is uh, two days before uh, the Barnes article in the New York Times, I'm looking at it. It's at page A25 in the print edition, uh, October 27, 2002. The headline is Attorney General Garland prohibits the state, meaning the government, from seizing records or notes from reporters, even if oh. there's a leak from the inside of any government agency of even classified information. Oh. And I think that the timing of this is very interesting. Oh, it's crucial, yes, yes. Given the language of the bill. Because even though the bill is clearly not technically a whistleblower bill, if you pair it, marry it up with this new executive order by the President of the United States, Anybody on the inside cannot be held liable in any way. They can even sue the government and get in civil court if there's any retaliation for them bringing their experience within the system. But this new uh, executive order, actually, it's it's a new policy by the Attorney General of the United States, but it wouldn't have happened without the approval of the president, Biden. No, Anybody who went to the public. Uh, went to the press, went to the media uh, uh, with some inside information on this subject. Nothing could happen to them. Uh, yeah, but, uh, and I'll, I'll close with this because it's late here. I'll let you uh, have the full stage here, Barbara. But 
the, the, the other the, another way to recast the point I'm making is this: you don't put legislation like that into a bill if you are you have plans of quote dragging this out for ten years and playing around with it or turning around and going backwards. You simply don't do that by putting in that kind of language. You are guaranteeing more witnesses, which eventually will get into the public arena. Okay. They come forward first, and then probably it will be green-lighted in many cases. Well, I talk to the press. You just don't do that unless you're on a relatively fast track, right? And so this is another indication that this is going to be over soon, not later. Now, again, civil unrest in this country, uh, nuclear war, things like that, well, that will delay it. But, hey, what can I say? You know, even the world's a crazy place. We're, we're at the bottom of the hour, guys, if you want to. Okay, well, Stephen, let me hold you over for the final so we can do this properly. I've got to get an answer. At least let me get the question now. I want to know if any language in this bill covers former military intelligence and contractors. Let me think on that. I'll, I'll answer after oh, the break. Okay, we'll, okay. We'll, we will come back to that. My guest this morning, Barbara Honiger and Steve Bassett, and we're thrashing out the details, the details of what's going to happen in a major way. As soon as the President of the United States signs the finished bill uh, authorized by both houses of Congress, which should be, if we use, you know, history as prologue, uh, maybe January of 2023, then in 2023, the you-know-what is going to hit the fan big time. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We'll come back for some closing thoughts from Stephen and then segue to Barbara's real-world, remarkable October surprise White House experience when we return. The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this Sunday night, about a half hour to go until we're into the wee hours, the witching hour of midnight in the land of enchantment with a gorgeous crescent moon just setting over the western horizon of this desert. 
My guest this morning, we're going to finish up in a few minutes here, is uh, Stephen Bassett, who's given us a beautiful, brilliant overview of what is to come in this torturous, agonizingly long and complicated field that we call the disclosure process. And Barbara, of course, who served in the White House under President Reagan, was a firsthand witness to an amazing October surprise. And we'll get into the nuances between that which is a public surprise versus that which is behind cover, behind closed doors, and is mostly more in basically more effective, as she will recount. So, guys, Stephen, uh, final thoughts? And then I think Barbara had asked you a question that she wanted answered about foreign military Mm. and foreign contractors covered by U.S. law. No, no, that's No, no, retired, retired, yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, Very good question. Based on my reading, uh, this language seems to apply to people who are employed by the government, not retired. Okay, that's point number one. Okay, now that's still hugely important, okay? Because, first of all, people still employed, and some of them could be employed for 30 years, they have recent information or current or easily verifiable information, so they would be prime witnesses. Yes. Uh, The second point... Retaliated uh, against without this bill. Okay, so the second point is this. I think it's a mistake that they do not include former employees of, of, the, of the government. And if I, if I were asked my opinion by somebody on the Hill, God knows, I would probably – I'd die of a heart attack if they called me up. The point is that, <laughs> is that uh, uh, I would suggest that they add that language. However, uh, beyond that, uh, it's worth noting that this extraordinary – uh, dem- uh, requirement that, they, that, that it's going to result in them building up a huge archive for their purposes only of all of the NDAs or equivalent NDAs related to this subject, not any subject, but this, this topic will by definition include people who were under NDAs. They will be in those, those, uh, in, in those archives and, 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 and enlisted with those NDAs even though they're now retired. So they're going to know who these people are. And then lastly, the fact is, as we've already seen, you know, and I know a lot of people I can refer you to, is that those that are retired have obviously a hell of a lot more latitude than there are those that are still employed. In other words, retaliating against somebody that's within the employee of the government, within the Air Force something, is easy. Trying to retaliate against a retired colonel or officer or general or anything else, way harder. And so it's almost, given the context we're in now, given the circumstances, the idea that an employee comes forward and starts talking about extraordinary things they saw or did. By the way, a lot of these people like Fravor are retired now. Dietrich's retired. The idea that government's not going to reach out to them and, and what, sue them? No. But I, and, and so I think, I think the retired people are going to view these, these, this language as significant incentive for them to come forward, regardless of whether it directly covers them. However, I wouldn't mind putting the language in there saying, yeah, you're covered too. Let's, let's really make this a big party. Well, if you have an opportunity to suggest that it be added, I would hope you would or find the right front person to do that. Well, given Thank that you. this show is listened to by certain very interesting people, it's already on the record, guys. So... I think we've done our job on that front. Uh, let me ask you one final question, Stephen, just so we're, we're crystal clear. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. This goes into effect as law as mm-hmm. soon as the president signs the joint congressional House and Senate version of the bill, right? Yes, which is fully expected in November. So we're talking weeks, if weeks. not days. Mm-hmm. Now, there may be some shenanigans that go on, depending on who wins the friggin' election, I, uh, and, but it, it has to get passed. Uh, and it's, you know, when it comes oh, yeah, to... yeah, it's the NDAA. To, Without that, you yeah, don't yeah, have, yeah. A, you don't uh, have unlike national Unlike some defense. bills, unlike some bills, this one always gets passed. You it know what I mean? It has to, it has right? to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They never hold up the NDAA, right? Uh, it's always some other bill. So it's always the, the funding bill, right? But not the NDAA. Uh, so, so it will get passed. Just so I'm clear, as soon as Biden signs it into law, which could be within mm-hmm. weeks at the mm-hmm. outset, mm-hmm. the floodgates could open. Well, wait, wait a minute. It is signed into law for 2023. So it doesn't go into effect until fiscal year 2023 begins, which I believe is early in January. So it's not immediate. It is, after all, the 2023 law. But well, we're, we're still talking but, weeks as opposed to months or years. Yeah, yeah, and maybe the fiscal year starts at the end of this year. I need to check on that. Uh, but <laughs> it, fiscal year is not the calendar year. That's right. So I'll check on that. But I it'll, thought it'll the go fiscal year effect. ended and began in October, guys. That's I very possible. It does. You're very, you may be right. Yeah. You're very probably right. I, I need to check that. Uh, Can I yeah, sure. Yes. Sure. Uh, I met Colonel uh, Corso's son at an ex conference, um, and he was scared to death. He was telling me that he was getting threatening phone calls and stuff. People telling him, "Don't publish any more books. Don't say anything else." And if he was going to testify, would they take uh, Corso's book as his testimony um, or his son's testimony if that was a case? Uh uh, look, uh, Corso's book. People are this way. Corso's book could be a research item for certain members of Congress to review as they're trying to make decisions about witnesses and so forth. Uh, his son would certainly not be an early a witness. He's not firsthand. Now, post disclosure, he could very well be a witness. Okay. Uh, but there's just too many living witnesses with extraordinary testimony that will get the focus first. But post-disclosure, everything ever written, everything about this subject, including the curve on Mars, right? <laughs> Your curve on Mars uh, is going to get looked at, re-looked at, examined, uh, and get the attention it deserves. Uh, and, but that's not going to happen until disclosure, which is why disclosure is so important. Thank you. Guys, this has been – Stephen, i got to say, you and I have known each other a hell of a long time, right? This has been one of the most fruitful, grounded, real conversations on this subject that I think we've ever been able to have, and I want to thank you. U.S. federal government fiscal year runs from October 1 to September 30, and so, yes – uh, because the fiscal year is already underway. The bill, by the way, could have been signed already. It probably was. Because – because no, no, it wasn't. no, no, no because we don't have, have we don't have concurrence from the Senate and the House on the final bill yet. But well, we I will. mean, this way, they have to finish it. And one of the reasons, but they could have, they could have wrapped it up months ago. But that's not the way things work anymore. You probably no, know that. No. And given everything that's happened, it's dragged forward. And so essentially, it's going to be passed after the physical year is underway. But yes, it will go into effect. The only things that may go into effect later is the various dates that are signed for certain briefings, certain uh, reports, and blah blah blah. But that becomes law sometime in November. Okay. As soon and, as he and, signs and, it, it becomes law. 
because we're within the 2023 fiscal year, which began October 1. And that's another reason why I I believe our next chance for hearings is sometime between around uh, November 10 and July 3. If you're going to have another major hearing, major hearing now, not some, you know, small, small one, it would be in that period before the new Congress takes over. So I'm hoping to hear something about that. But you could understand why they'd like to have that law passed before they call a major hearing in front of an intel committee. I Obviously, they would so. like to have it first. It's all so about see how sequencing. Yeah. You're talking about July, a new Congress takes over. Congress takes over uh, in January. Doesn't January 3rd it? Is, I just, is the new Congress, yeah. yeah ja- I, I, did I say July? I misspoke. You said January. July. Yeah, I misspoke. So uh, uh, this, the next two months, to say the least – is going to be pretty interesting. Uh, and it's almost that's like you not, want to film the whole thing. And that's not even counting these three missions, count them three, with yeah. uh, two dozen incredible state-of-the-art color digital cameras en route to the moon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this is all coming together rather conveniently, isn't it? it isn't it I, nice? I, <laughs> Finally, hey, got, got a lot of money, got a lot of money, got a lot of resources, got a lot of uh, latitude. Oh, and, and all, just yeah. to leave everybody on the edge of forever. <clears throat> that's a title of an old book. I think I read somewhere. I agree with Carl, Yes. We have Elon Musk who has just purchased the predominant social media website on the planet. And everybody hmm. wonders what he's up to. I think Elon Musk wants a clear channel so nothing can be censored and everything on this will be coming out on Twitter. That's my personal perspective on what Elon is up to. I stay out of that subject very carefully because it's a, it's, it's, it's a hot potato. Well, I have given a that he, given Are he you is, telling me this isn't a hot potato? Given that he, uh, it's a potato. All right. <laughs> given, the Elon thing right now is a hot potato. Given that he and Joe Rogan discussed me and artifacts on the moon and Mars yeah, extensively yeah. one night, with photographed copies of the cover of my book, I think that what Alan knows, I know, because Alan knows that kind of thing. I think, look, in the worst case scenario, if you're trying to break open the biggest kept secret in the history of humanity that mm-hmm. determines who we are and where we go, and it's been fought tooth and nail by every means necessary for at least 70 years, if not 70,000, if you had access to the social platform that would give it to the world uncensored would you not do that well okay but let me be let's let me be uh, fair here uh well before the 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 recent developments regarding twitter and elon musk the uap issue was thriving and is still thriving on the internet it has got a huge number of people involved we've got hashtags uh, which are being used to coordinate uh, and that has not stopped, and I don't see it changing. And there has been uh, virtually no censorship uh, uh, of this issue, of this issue, on Twitter. So uh, I can say that that the old Twitter and the new Twitter, I, I don't see any difference. Uh, other other topics, yeah, but Twitter has been a major force. Uh, regarding getting this information out, I recommend people do their search on hashtag UFO Twitter. You'll find all the postings you could ever want. You'll spend the rest of your life reading them. But the, the number of people that are, are that are into this and tweeting, some of them are tweeting two, three times a day. It's huge. And all of those tweets, as you know, are archived and are building up. So aside from all the other stuff that's happening with Twitter, and it's a mess, 
uh, in terms of the relationship between Twitter and the disclosure process, it has been absolutely positive, uh, and I encourage people to take advantage of it uh, because you can you can get links to information faster and quicker there than virtually anywhere else. Hmm. By the way, just as a personal note, I've been asked to be back on coast the night of the 14th of November, which is the day we leave for the moon again if Artemis works. And I have a major set of things to talk about with George for the first two hours. One of them might be we're headed back to the moon with cameras that can really finally see and make public the artifacts. Congratulations. Uh, meanwhile, I'm just ha- hanging out in my office waiting for Joe Rogan's people to call. <laughs> hey, Stephen, thank you so much. This is the perfect segue to Barbara, because Barbara is now going to bring it down to the real nitty gritty, because we're not looking at a, at a simulation. The idea of an October surprise manhandling and wresting away from the people an actual election before the election took place and she was a witness. So, Stephen, Thank you. Good night. And Barbara? That was a great, great segment. Good, good night, Barbara. I, I, I don't think I could handle a surprise. I, I mean, October that didn't have a surprise. I expect <laughs> it every year, like Halloween and Thanksgiving. If there wasn't an October surprise, I would be bitterly disappointed. Be All right. Disappointed. <laughs> I got to go. Bye. Good night, okay. Stephen. <clears throat> Barbara, the floor is yours. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to need more than the 15 minutes. Well, of course, of course, of course. We've yeah. got to the end of the show. We, 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 will, we will bring on Georgia at the top of the hour, and then she will be taking notes, and then she will, will you know, well, this, will, this will work perfectly. Okay, so go for yeah, it. No, we're, we're fine. I, I just noticed that it's 1046 already here in California. Okay, so what I'm going to do, in addition to, uh, as you know, from, from my items, um, I would like people to go to my items. Um, so if you want to let people know how to do that. Oh, go to the other side of midnight.com. Click on tonight's banner, which says very prominently October surprise. Uh, click on that. That takes you to the guest page right under the banner there. You will see uh, fast links to items. Click on George, uh, George on Barbara's name, and that will take you to her section of radio pictures, which leads off with her extraordinarily important book. Okay. All right. So if uh, everybody can go there, because I'm going to be going through my items quickly, because I want you to get the really big picture about the the bottom line of what you're going to learn here in the next 20 minutes or so, a little bit after the top of the hour as well, is that elections, is that the two parties routinely, routinely try to steal elections from the other party. Okay. Now, that's a shocking fact, but I'm going to demonstrate that to you. And another bottom line of what you're going to learn here in the next 20 minutes or so is that, hands down, it's the Republicans who, are the, who do the dirtiest trick over and over and over again to steal elections and successfully from the Democrats, not the other way around. Okay. In other words, this whole... Uh, this whole claim by Trump that the election was stolen from him he is actually turning reality uh, upside down and inside out. On its one. head is the term. Goes. On its head, completely on its head. Okay, so if, when you go to my items, you're going to see item number one. That's a cover of the cover of my book, October Surprise. And the, I'm going to give you the gist 
of what the October surprise was. I'm going to remind you of Bryce Zabel's um, Bryce Zabel. Zabel. Oh, Zabel. Bryce Zabel's definition of an October surprise, which is technically true, but it's unimportant as a definition. His definition was in U.S. Uh, presidential politics. An October surprise is a news event. In other words, a public event that somebody wants you to know about big time that may influence the outcome of the upcoming November election and, in fact, can change the course of uh, the November election. All right. So the one that I personally experienced um, is the subject of my book, October Surprise. And I'm going to give, I'm going to flesh out uh, the one that I experienced as a perfect example of what I just said, that the October surprises that are effective, that enable one party to steal an election from the other. And what do I mean by that? I mean, in the run up to an election, you've got poll results. And those poll results, the inside poll results by the Republican National Committee or the Democratic National Committee or the campaign, they're usually pretty good. And those poll results will tell you on the inside, and I was on the inside of the 1980 Reagan campaign in National Headquarters, um, which was in July through November 4th of 1980, um, those in, internal polls will give you a very good idea of who's going to win that election. So that if you don't take an action like an October surprise in October, and I'm going to be really explicit now about the precise date within which you have to pull off a secret October surprise in order to successfully steal an election from your opponent. Um, and I'll get to that, that specific, those specific dates in a moment. Um, you will see that what is effective is, in fact, a secret attempt to steal an election because nobody wants the world to know that you've stolen the election. You want the world to know <laughs> if you're a candidate in a campaign and a party that you want it fair and square, right? Okay. So the gist of my book, October Supply, um, it's based upon the beginning of the research that I did for the book, which took about six years. I actually wrote the book in six weeks. But the, the research for the book took six years. And it, it started out based upon my personal experience inside the highest levels of the Reagan-Bush senior campaign in Arlington, Virginia headquarters, the campaign headquarters, um, from July through July or August through uh, Election Day, which was November 4th of 1980. And what I learned there on the inside of the campaign in the most secure room that you had to use a code key to even get in the door um, it was called the Operations Center on the top floor of the campaign building in Arlington, Virginia. Um, what I learned was that our, uh, our campaign, in particular the George Bush vice presidential running mate side of the campaign, was actively pursuing an attempt to negotiate with the Khomeini regime, which was at the time holding 52, actually 50 eight or more uh, 62 hostages. Uh, some of them, the, the elderly and the sick hostages, were released early, leaving six, uh, 52 hostages. But they were being held against their will um, in Tehran, and some of them even in even prison, even prison in Tehran. And um, so Jimmy Carter, who was, who was president at the time, 
he was the only individual on in the country who legitimately could try to get the hostages home. And he was actively, of course, trying to do it. Well, the Reagan campaign, I knew this from the inside, the Reagan Bush senior campaign had done extensive polling with what are called focus groups all across the country. And those focus groups were asked a very simple question. And the data from the answers of the individuals who were randomly selected and agreed to be in a focus group from across the country, that data was fed into a Cray computer. And out popped a very important fact. Because those focus group members were asked a very simple question. And it applies to this election and every election. They were asked the question. Now, Carter was ahead in the poll. All right. He wasn't ahead a lot, but he was ahead in the poll. Uh, most people didn't think Reagan could possibly win. He was a big, great actor, after all. You know, He had been governor of California, but Carter was ahead in the poll. As the November 4th election approached, these focus group members were asked this question. If Carter brought the hostages home, and they said, if he brought them home on this date, this date, this date, and they gave every single date on the calendar beginning on October 10th, I believe it was, through November 4th or November 3rd, if he brought the hostages home on this date, this date, this date, this date, would you be more or less likely to vote for Carter over Reagan? And, of course, they knew who people were probably leaning towards voting for it to begin with. And it was a fascinating answer. What we learned from that extreme focus group from across the country and crunching the numbers in the Cray computer and out popped the answer. If the hostages were brought home, in other words, an October surprise, that would have been Carter's October surprise, which didn't happen because of the secret and illegal and treasonous negotiations of the Reagan-Bush senior campaign to prevent it from happening, which was the real October surprise. The real, the real November surprise was that Reagan won and Carter lost. But what we learned was from these focus group members, if, the, if Carter successfully brought the hostages home without anybody dying, it had to be successful. If he brought them home before October 18th, they wouldn't give any more likelihood of voting for Carter. If he brought them home between the 18th and the 25th, in a one-week critical window, they would vote for Carter. But if they brought them home from the 26th through the 3rd of November, they would see it as too politically motivated. People don't like there to be big national security events, big geopolitical events that appear to be for political reasons. So we learned that if we were going to prevent Carter from successfully negotiating with Khomeini to get the hostages home, we had to do, make sure that he didn't bring them home between the 18th and the 25th of October, one week. And it's not a coincidence that the Reagan-Bush campaign in the persons of George Bush Sr., who was then the vice presidential running mate, and William Casey, who was the campaign manager, and for good reason, because he pulled off the October surprise and prevented Carter from winning, um, he became Reagan's first CIA director. So those two men, George Bush Sr. and Bill Casey, 
uh, pulled off the October surprise in secret meetings in Paris, France, not surprisingly, between October 18th and 19th of 1980. Okay? And th- they did it on the 18th slash 19th with a time difference to, uh, to Paris, France, um, for a reason. And that was because we had to make sure that we stopped, that we offered a better deal to Khomeini um, between the beginning on the 18th or Carter was going to win the election. So that was the October surprise. And it took about six years of uh, diligent research on my part uh, after I resigned from the Reagan uh, White House and Justice Department, which was in late uh, August, uh, around August 21st of 1983, to about 10 days of international publicity based upon an entirely different matter. It had nothing to do with October Surprise. And then I did my research on the October Surprise and published my book uh, quite a few years later. Um, my book, the, the information in my book was then taken up by Gary Sick, uh, Navy captain, Navy, Naval intelligence captain, Gary Sick, uh, who had been Carter's and two presidents before him. He had been the Iran expert in the National Security Council through three straight presidents and even into the beginning of the Reagan Bush Sr. White House. Um, and he then, about three years after my book was published, based in great part upon my book, uh, he published a book by the same title called October Surprise, um, confirming the information in my book. And as a result of my book and his book, Bob Perry's book called uh, Trick or Trees in the October Surprise Mystery, and also Ari Ben-Manash's book from, the, from inside the Israeli defense forces, the Israeli military, he published a book. Uh, shortly, uh, about three years after mine as well, called Prophets of War. The first half of that book is um, the validation of the information in my book that the Reagan-Bush campaign stole the election and, in fact, did hold that critical meeting on the night of October 18th going into 1980 in Paris, France, with Khomeini's representatives. And the deal was, very simple, the deal was, okay, don't release the, cost of the hostages to Carter. Don't release them at all to Carter because then we know from our focus group that we will win. And when you don't release them to Carter, let us gain the White House. Let us gain the ability to send you secret shipments of arms. And there were a minimum of 5 billion secret and illegal arms shipments against our own Iranian arms embargo that were sent to the Khomeini regime to prosecute the war against Saddam Hussein and Iraq, the so-called Iran-Iraq war. Okay, we're, we're, we're at the top of the hour. Hold it there, and we'll come right back. My guest this morning is Barbara Honiger, who, as you know, was a senior policy advisor in the Reagan White House, first-person witness to how the Reagan people basically stole by manipulating the negotiations with Iran behind the scenes effectively acing out Carter, preventing him from concluding a deal with the Iranians about releasing the hostages in that critical one-week window as determined by focus group polling. Interesting how this stuff goes down. Anyway, um, you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we are going to return. Don't touch that dial, Georgia Lambert joins us at the top of the hour. 
The other side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and nonlinearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on the other side of midnight here for this Sunday night, now Monday morning, here in the Land of Enchantment. We are literally on the edge of forever. Uh, We're kind of in the middle of Barbara's story relating to uh, uh, the Iran October surprise. So, Barbara, let me let you pick it up. And first of all, I want to welcome Georgia Lambert, who's going to listen to Barbara finish the first part of the tale, and then we'll ask her about her reactions and comments, and then we'll have an interesting discussion. So, Barbara, please continue. Okay. Um, could you hear me now? Excellent. Yes. Okay, great. Yeah, good good, good audio quality on the show tonight, um, from my end anyway. Okay. So, um, hopefully people are still... Uh, at my items, it's called Barbara's Items, and we've just we've just gone over number one, which is the theft of the 1980 presidential election by the Republicans against the Democrats. And I should say that this is not speculation any longer. It hasn't been speculation for decades now, because uh, my book, and then Gary Six's book, and Robert Perry's book, and Ari Ben Menashe's book from inside the Israeli military intelligence community um, all led to, uh, led up to uh, congressional in, uh, reinvestigation of the Iran side of Iran contract, which was called the House of Representatives October Surprise Task Force, which basically my research and book uh, initiated. And then some years went by, uh, and they published their report, which of course was going to be a, was a whitewash report, but nevertheless. What we learned shortly after the report was published, which was in 1993, my book came out in May 12, 1989. In 1993, the House October Surprise Task Force published its uh, uh, report by the published by the government printing office, the GPO. And even though it was a whitewash, there was a lot of evidence in there. Um, the whitewash was the executive summary, which. The mainstream media, that's all the time they have to read is a few paragraphs and an executive summary, which is how the propaganda gets done. But if you actually read the report, it proved the point. And uh, also, the it's very important to know as we go into these other October surprises in a moment, which I'll go through much more quickly than the one that I personally experienced in 1980, um, what you are going to see 
um, is that uh, th these are th there are really a very small handful of players that uh, are involved in these October surprises. It's going to be very surprising to you um, because the same names keep coming up again and again because uh, the two parties don't have that many dirty tricksters to pull these things off. And you want to, if you're going to commit treason or you're going to try to steal an election, especially if you succeed in stealing one from the other candidate and party, uh, you don't want that known. You want that to be, you know, on the black side of everything. So anyway. Um, well, as, 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 as they say in Washington, very closely held. Oh, extremely closely held. And you don't want very many people to be involved in stealing elections. So the dirty, the dirty tricksters and the fixers in the two parties are a handful of people, and they all know each other, believe me. Yeah. Okay. So um, uh, the other thing you should know is that um, the, the individual, the member of Congress, who was put in charge of the October Supplies Task Force, which was a cover-up task force. Now, a lot of people in the UFO UAP community think they want a congressional investigation. I put up a big red flag about that because I don't personally believe that that will ever get you to the real truth. Um, but I do believe that, this, that these witnesses, if they can actually go to the mainstream media through President Biden's new, um, or Attorney General Merrick Garland's new uh, policy that they are that they are not going to go after any member of the media, um, even if they receive leaked classified information if they make it public. Um, so the individual who's put in charge of the October Surprise Task Force cover-up to try to say it didn't happen was Lee Hamilton, Representative Lee Hamilton from Indiana, wasn't he a Democrat from, from Indiana? Indiana. And it's not a coincidence that Mr. Hamilton was also made the co-chairman of the 9-11 Commission mm. cover-up. Okay. So there are a very small handful of players who are the fixers from the inside that steal elections from the other party and then cover it up. Because, you know, the public in the world is supposed to think that we're the, the good functioning democracy, which everybody knows we're not right now. So anyway, so now I'm going to move on. To number two, my item number two. Um, and um, that is, let me see here, um, item number two. Oh, it's about the 2000 yeah. presidential the election. 2000, the 2000 presidential election was flat out stolen by the Republicans again. And guess who was the mastermind of that riot? That was Roger Stone, who masterminded the Brooks Brothers riot. They even called it a riot. Um, and the riot was organized down in Florida to stop the vote count in the critical Florida district, which ended up throwing the outcome of the election to the Supreme Court in Bush versus Gore. And uh, in, my, in that item, you will see this article by the Washington Post, um, how the Brooks Brothers riot killed the 2000 Florida recount. So I recommend that you read that. It's just a simple fact. And as you will see when we get to number nine, um, Mr. Roger Stone, who is a longtime personal friend and top advisor to Donald Trump, was also the mastermind of the January 6th riot. There's no question about that. But we'll get to that in a moment. So 
we have these these dirty tricksters pulling the uh, attempts to who was an them. acolyte of Roy Cohn, exactly. who, was, who was an attorney who was uh, uh, the ultimate conspiratorial House member Joseph McCarthy, and the That's McCarthy correct. hearings back in the fifties, and then Roy Cohn went on to serve an illustrious career as lawyer for Donald J. Trump. For Donald J. Trump. So Roy Cohn was a mafiosa, uh, Israeli mafia, uh, dirty trickster, and attorney and top advisor to McCarthy of the Un-American, House Un-American Services Committee, all of that. Uh, And then he went on to, he he is also the mentor of Roger Stone, and it was the attorney and personal advisor and friend of Donald Trump. Okay. So again, what, just what were you saying about a limited number of players? Exactly. They're, and they very, recycle them through the decades. That is correct. But they usually stay on one party side. So you've got Roy Cohn, Donald Trump, and uh, uh, Roger Stone, who's the ultimate dirty trickster, uh, on the side of the Republicans against the Democrats. By the way, do you okay. know that I actually got Roger Stone on this show? Yes, I did. Way back when? That was one of the very first shows where you asked me to do the background research for that show. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Which I was very happy to do. Super. Okay. Um, All right. So number three, this is very important. Um, Oh, sorry. Number number three is the 2000 election theft. That is Roger Stone's uh, Brooks Brothers riot down in Florida. Okay. Um, There's actually a direct link to September 11th, by the way. I'm not going to go into the details here because you might want to do another show on it, mm-hmm. um, but I'll give you the gist. And the bottom line of it is that um, the the election, uh, as you know, uh, was stopped because of the Brooks Brothers riot. It was thrown to the Supreme Court. Now, um, after the Supreme Court ruled and um, Bush Jr., George W. Bush and Dick Cheney were in the White House already. The New York Times and the Washington Post joined forces in something called the New York Times-Washington Post Consortium. And through uh, Freedom of Information Act requests and many other means, legal means, um, they got a full recount of the Florida vote. And that recount was going on behind the scenes after Bush Jr. and Cheney were already in power. So they they gained power on the on January twentieth of nineteen uh, excuse me two thousand and one. And of course September eleventh was September eleventh two thousand and one, which was about what ten months later. Yeah. Okay. So as time is going on and they're already in the White House. The New York Times and the Washington Post attorneys and researchers are recounting all those ballots down in Florida. And lo and behold, anybody who was anybody in Washington and the military and the intelligence community all knew what the result was. It had not yet been made public. The result was Gore had won. Okay? Gore had won. And many people don't know, just before 9-11... There were demonstrations on the street in New York City because it had already leaked out that Gore should be in the White House. What were 
the Republicans already in the White House going to do? They had to have a war. Okay, hmm. I'm not going to go in anymore, but as you know, um, the 9-11 truth movement has developed the absolute dispositive evidence that the 9-11 attacks were not by Muslim hijackers. It was an inside job. So the Bush Cheney government and the neocons in the Pentagon and our military intelligence community pulled off an attack on our own people. It was a massacre of American citizens by their own government. They were willing to go to that length to keep the White House because, after all, once you're at war, even if it's called a war on terror, once you're at war, you are not going to change presidents after they're already in the White House. Okay? So there's a direct link between Roger Stone's Brooks Brothers riot and September 11th, believe it or not. So the next item is the 2001 October surprise. I want to remind you that in the wake of the 9-11 attack, what did we have in October? Beginning October 5th, the public and the government became aware of the anthrax letter attack. And I'm not going to go into that in detail except to uh, draw your listeners and your also attention to a recent presentation that I just gave, our Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. I'm uh, the chairman of the board of that organization, and we held, of course, as we do every year, uh, a 9-11 anniversary event. This year's was online, and my presentation, you can see it uh, there, and my presentation, that's the link to our entire video. It goes on, our event went on for eight hours, but if you just go to two hours, eight minutes, and 24 seconds in, for about uh, half an hour, you will see my very critical presentation on the anthrax links to the day of 9-11 itself, the day of the actual attack. The government wants you to believe a lie, a huge lie, and that huge lie that they want you to believe is that the anthrax letter attack, the government didn't know anything about anthrax at all until October 5th, which is the, the uh, anthrax attacks, October surprise, which they tried unsuccessfully to blame on Saddam Hussein and Iraq. Okay, so that's enough for that. But we could go into that in another show if you'd like in more detail. The next item in my items is the 2004 election fraud that was pulled off, actually successfully pulled off. This was the election in which George W. Bush and Cheney ran against, I believe it was John Kerry, right? Yes, um, and, yeah. that, uh, and they retained the White House, but, they, but the critical state was Ohio. And the Republicans actually hired a consultant um, who was able to go into the algorithms of the electronic voting machines in Ohio and rig the machines. And um, literally, I think it was the day before, he was to testify. He was subpoenaed to testify. I believe it was in Congress. Um, he happened to die in an automobile accident. Oh, of course, of course, yes. Okay. Uh, this is, you know, kind of like uh, Paul Wellstone and his uh, very convenient uh, plane uh, crash. Airplane crash, yeah. Or John Tower in his very convenient yep. airplane crash because he knew too much about Iran Contra. Okay, the next item is the 216, 2016 October surprise. Now, this is the only one of these October surprises actually fits the definition of Bryce Zabel. Um, that an October surprise in U.S. presidential politics 
or politics in general, is a news event, a public news event. Major, major public news event. A major public news event that can actually and does change the outcome of a presidential election. And that was when FBI Director Comey, against all written policies of the Department of Justice, reopened the Hillary Clinton email investigation, and it was covered by the mainstream media on, and he did that on October 28th, which happens to be my birthday. Let me ask Um, you a side question, because, you know, Trump has had Comey in his sights ever since then. He fired him. He's had vitriolic things to say. He's had him up as, you know, public enemy number one on Twitter. Right, Um, which makes no sense, because he gave the election to Trump. Well, here's my, my, my question. Is that all just to cover do they really hang out together? They're drinking buddies. Comey was really <laughs> trying. I'm, I'm serious because if Comey hadn't done that, Hillary would have won. Trump no, himself absolutely. admitted that he only could won, win on that day, that if it had happened any other day, he probably wouldn't have won. In other words, he knew how incredibly iffy it was balanced on a, on a, on a razor blade. Oh, Trump did not expect to win. No, he absolutely didn't expect to win. And Comey's act, which was on October 28th of 2016, was exactly within that critical window. The window. Oh, we're we're going to remember the window forever, dear. Thank you. Now, the one person who Comey is best of friends with for life and their wives are best. The gosh, now I'm going to I'm going to space on his name. But the uh, the guy who did the whole Russia collusion investigation, you know, the Robert Mueller, Robert Mueller and Comey are best of friends. Okay. And Robert Mueller did not. Robert Mueller pulled his punches. Well, he never went into the financials. No, he never went into the financials, and he he made it possible for Bill Barr to um, completely to, screw him in the public. To uh, completely screw it, yeah. For some reason, they wanted Trump in the White House. And my guess, I'm going to give you my guess. My guess is is that they did know that Trump had a backdoor through Alpha Bank, the Alpha Bank servers and a lot of other things, did have a backdoor into Putin. Wait, and wait, they, you, you mean uh, Deutsche Bank? No, I don't mean Deutsche Bank. I mean Alpha Bank. Okay, There was right. a Russian Alpha Bank server in Trump's Okay, yeah, I remember that now dimly, dimly, okay. But anyway, my point is is that if you if you were the FBI director and you knew for certain that Trump really was in the pocket of Putin, which I think is Oh, very it's clear, a, it's a it's a it's it's a triple cross. It's a triple cross. They wow. wanted to in to give Putin disinformation. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that's what but my point here is is that the only open October surprise that swayed an election was when Comey reopened the Hillary Clinton email exactly in the middle of the critical window that yep, we learned yep, about. Yep. And then she okay. was toast all over the so-called Weinstein laptop or Weinstein. Absolutely. And Hillary Clinton has stated publicly that she blames Comey for her loss, and she's right. She's correct. Okay, so that's a, a true October surprise, according to the definition of uh, right, of Zabel. Zabel, of Zabel. Okay, my next uh, my next item, and we're almost to the end of them. Um, the next one is number uh, is it six or seven? Seven. seven. Yeah, number seven. Now this is really mind blo- mind blowing, but 
believe it or not, you've heard about Spygate. Of course. Um, that U.S. the former U.S. attorney in Connecticut, John Durham, is still. Oh, good Trump. grief! The guy who keeps getting absolutely lambasted in court by juries that say you're nuts. Yeah, that's right. That's because there was nothing to it, as the public has been told what it is. But well, anyway, as, as Gertrude Stein said famously about another place on the other side of the continent, there has never been a there there. The Durham witch hunt was really a witch hunt from the get-go. Yeah, there wasn't a spy gate. Um, the, 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 real, the real spying, the real triple cross, as it were, <laughs> was using Trump's backdoor to Putin to feed Putin with disinformation for a very long time. Um, but anyway, let, let me go into uh, number You know, seven. actually, what you just said is kind of heartening because it means that our guys aren't the Keystone cops that we've all been thinking they've been for the last six years? Yeah, I don't think they are. Uh, because remember remember when Putin uh, invaded Ukraine, or just before Putin invaded Ukraine? Yeah. Uh, our intelligence put out beforehand that he was going to do it, and then he did it. Yep. yep and we yep. put out that Putin was going to do something else, and then he did it. Well, remember, we remember, I, I have said publicly from the beginning, and Georgia, of course, is waiting patiently, in the wings here, I, I said to her and many of you, I said, look, nobody, even Hitler, was 100% wrong 100% of the time. And Donald Trump has been 100% wrong, bounds the percentages, unless there's an unknown factor in operation. And I think you put your finger on it. I think I have. Yeah. And by the way, I wouldn't be able to put my finger on these things. I've got a real good nose for what's hidden. I always have. Um, but having been on the inside of the Reagan Bush White House, knowing what I did about the October surprise and biding my time until I could resign publicly, which I did in August of 1983, to 10 days of international and national publicity, um, I learned I learned how these people operate and being, you know, the word cynical doesn't even begin hmm. to describe um, what the position that I take uh, on presidential and international politics. I mean, it's dirty. It's all dirty on all sides, not just one side. Okay, so um, going to number seven. Now, this will blow people's minds. Um, believe it or not, this whole Spygate thing, which is uh, ongoing, by former U.S. Attorney, uh, Connecticut U.S. Attorney John Durham, who is a Trumpist. He is, um, he has brought people into court um, to try to prove that the FBI and Comey and, and uh, you know. But the whole the, Mueller investigation was just a setup. The whole Mueller investigation was, uh, was a sham and that there was nothing to. Well, that, that it was, Trump keeps claiming it, it, it was a witch hunt. The witch hunt. Well, um, what people? This is this is what's very interesting here. I wouldn't know this if I hadn't been a been on the inside of the October surprise in the Reagan Bush campaign headquarters in 1980. But the person, one of the handful of people who worked on the George H. W. Bush, who was then Reagan's vice presidential running mate, on his side of the campaign was Stephen Halper. Oh, Stephen Halper Steve, was Stephen Halper. Stephen Halper was CIA big time. And Stephen Halper, believe it or not, was critical 
in he, they, he was working for the FBI in the crossfire hurricane investigation of Trump's link to Russia. Okay, and so I've got it's the same guy, the same guy who pulled off the October surprise and helped doing it for his boss, who was George H. W. Bush, after whom, after all, CIA headquarters is named, right? Yep. Um, Stephen Halper is also at the center of Spygate. So we're talking another example of a limited number of recycled inside people. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, and then number eight, uh, of course, we all know about the 2020 election. Trump's fake election theft claim has literally, we all know from every single newspaper headline and mainstream media, Trump's fake election, the 2020 election, has literally become the central political organizing principle of the entire Republican Party. Okay, so um, there we go. It wasn't an October surprise theft. It was a November theft claim that was false, but nevertheless... Well, wait, wait. he actually was planting the seeds long before November. Yes, July. He began publicly stating that if he lost the election, it would be stolen in July. He even yes. planted them before the 2016 election. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes. I think that Trump didn't expect to win. Comey made him win. Yes. And I remember the night, um, you know, uh, the election was November 8th of 2016. And because, um, because it took so long to figure out the vote, um, the final result didn't come out until the wee hours of the morning of November 9th. And I will never forget Trump and his family coming onto the stage looking like deer in the headlines. <laughs> they were in shock. Yes, they were. And so was Hillary Clinton. Well, you may remember that this show was one of the few that was not shocked because I said on the air, Hillary is not going to be the candidate that wins. Remember I said yeah, well, that? After- Several times? Yeah, I, I do. Um, and I was on your show, I believe, that night. Um, okay, so we're almost done. Um, number nine, right? We're back to the bottom of my item. Number nine. Now, <laughs> now remember Lily may, Tomlin? Number nine. Number nine. You may not know this, but Roger Stone was the mastermind of the January 6th Capitol riot. Oh, yes, he and, was. He's on video. Laying yes. out the plan. This uh, yes. was a Scottish or British documentary group. I, I think it was. I think they were from Holland, from the Netherlands. They did yeah. a documentary, and he's on videotape. Remember, go to the videotape, saying well, exactly what, what the strategy was going to be. He's just going to claim he won. Yes, correct. Um, so Roger Stone was the mastermind, not of the rally at the ellipse by the White House, but of the riot. And, so and, was, and the fake electors, don't forget them. And I won't, <laughs> but I want to emphasize the riot here because I want to go back to the Brooks Brothers riot that stole the 2000 election from Gore. Okay? Roger Stone was simply on behalf of Trump trying to reprise the success election in 2020. He failed. Okay? Now, there there is a an ongoing... Uh, a case by the Justice Department, um, by the U.S. Attorney, against the Oath Keepers, five Oath Keepers. And it turns out, if you read the New York Times from cover to cover, which I do every day, and the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal, and the Telegraph in the U.K., and the Guardian in the U.K., 
it ha I happened to read this in the New York Times. Um, about a week ago, it was revealed in the coverage of the Oath Keepers trial that's ongoing that one of Roger Stone's closest personal associates had actually gotten a permit from the Park Police or the Capitol Police for a protest on January 6th on the Capitol's ground. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay, hold it and there. Yeah. We're at the bottom yeah. of the hour. One half hour to go. Georgia will join us with uh, her thoughts on what we've been discussing tonight. Segwaying between October surprises, known unknown. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to this last half hour of The Other Side of Midnight, past the witching hour here in the land of enchantments. It is now Monday morning. Welcome to the last half hour of the Sunday night, Monday morning edition. Barbara's wrapping up on an extraordinary um, tale of connected conspiracies. Remember how they keep saying no such things as conspiracies? Well, of course there are conspiracies. Otherwise, why do we pay for an FBI and a CIA and an NSC and all those other multi-alphabet agencies? So, Barbara, please continue. Yeah, just a couple more sentences, and then uh, let's bring in Georgia. She always has such incredible things to, to add. Um, so I just want to, under my last item, which is nine, to bring people's attention to this very important article um, by Business Insider, believe it or not. So that's, you know, kind of like a Wall Street Journal type publication. Um, hardly left wing, right? Hardly. Um, and the, um, the headline is the January 6th insurrection. Directly descend. Oh, they've nailed it. Look at them. Look at them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
yes. This is this is Roger Stone. This is Roy Cohn. This is Donald Trump. They are, and this is literally uh, McCarthyism. January 6th insurrection directly descends from the legacy of Brooks Brothers riot and Bush v. Gore. You got it. Yes, exactly. And my last comment, um, and then let's talk with with Georgia, uh, is I just want to remind people how I believe that the seized documents, at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago, and there are probably other documents that he'd stashed oh, away. Oh, are you kidding? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a 18 wheeler full of documents down there, yes. and other places. No, he has other documents as well, and those many of those documents we already know um, from revelations in the in the court cases. We already know, and the special master, we already know many of those documents. At least a hundred are highly classified and that many of the highly classified documents are in folders that are empty so the question is what are those documents i'll bet you anything that some of them are about the uap issue and that some of them are about 9-11 oh aren't you a dear i say that with all good professional you know association because that's been my out-of-the-box model you know one of my major indicators that you could be right here Remember how the committee a couple of weeks ago issued a formal subpoena to Donald Trump to appear before the January 6th committee, right? Right. And then he wrote a 14-page extraordinary response in cap letters and exclamation points and all that. But in nowhere in that letter did he say no. And now we're getting indications that under the, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the bedspread, these things bumping up and down – there's indication that he might actually testify provided it's live. It's live. And the date that they chose for the document release is the 4th, which will be this uh, coming Friday when they're rolling out uh, the uh, the, uh, moon rocket to go back to the launch pad. The actual Trump appearance live on national television and global television to testify before the January uh, 6th committee would be November 14th, which is the day we launch again to the moon. Well, now, and, hold on. How do you know it's November 14th? Has there been a date? Sir? Yes, it's been announced. That's you the date. That, hold the, on. That, November 14th, that's the date they want Donald Trump to appear before the committee. Well, that's the date they want him to appear, but has it been arranged? We don't know. That, but that's the date yeah. they want, and he hasn't said no. That's no, a, he hasn't. That, that's he a negotiation, said, okay? He hasn't said no, but I think they would be fools to let him testify in person or live. I think it he, would – well, we, will, we may have a difference of opinion here because regardless of what's going to happen, I think it needs to happen live for people to believe it. If it happens on tape, remember, he's got a whole half the country that will not believe that he says what he said because they'll say it was manipulated. If it's live – They'll be able to ask him questions, and they'll either have to take the fifth, or have to lie, or have to tell the truth. It's one well, of those. Well, he's going to grandstand and put out what he wants to yeah, put but out. That, but lies. we always know he they, does that. Take the fifth for all the questions. Yes, but remember, he's on record about who takes the fifth. You simply go to the videotape. You say, "Mr. Trump, Mr. President, you're taking the fifth. Is that correct? Yes, I'm. Ta- you know, then you put the videotape up on the big screen, and you put him in his own voice 
telling you what he thinks of people who take the fifth. Well, that's true, but they'd have to do that in yet another hearing. Yeah. No, you have an old rack. You know what he's going to do. It's, it, you understand the You know who is doing the production of the committee stuff? Well, they're doing a very good job. Well, you know who's doing it? No. It's, well, it's someone who used to, that Keith used to work for, the producer, the executive producer of uh, ABC of Nightline. And when this is all done and whatever, I'm going to try to have Keith get him to come on the show and talk about the television side, a la Roddenberry, remember it's real, it'll be on television, of how the yeah. committee brilliantly came across with the truth by means of television. Okay, so you're telling me that the former executive producer of ABC's Nightline is the orchestrator of yes. the January Yes, show. yes. Well, he's doing a bit. What's his name? I, do you remember Keith? I don't remember it all. You're talking about Tom Batag? No, no, no. The, the, the other guy. The guy who was Batag's uh, 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 boss. He, he may have taken Rune Arledge's place. It was head of uh, ABC News. I haven't looked at this for, you know, several weeks. But I well, know... Anyway, that's, that's very interesting. I know um, that he's literally I, on staff. You can go and Google him and look him up. He's the guy who did news for television for ABC. He's been masterminding all their television. And he's done... Okay, a, well, well, the last sentence in, in before Georgia is that if, in fact, uh, the Artemis uh, uh, launch happens on the 14th. They will not have a competing major event with Trump that day. We don't know. No, they wouldn't. They, we, they would never do that. We don't know. They would have it a different day. Either the launch would be changed or the Trump appearance would be changed. Well, the launch is fixed because of the electro mechanics. You can't change that. There's, yeah. a, there's a reason why they have to try again on the 14th. Yeah, that's right. So Trump's not going to be on the 14th. I wouldn't bet the farm against that. Georgia. Well, I'll bet you I'll bet you five dollars. I'll bet you five dollars that it if okay. if, if he agrees Georgia. it will be the fourteenth because they're all connected. Remember, artifacts on the moon, UAPs, UFOs, ETs wandering around, government disclosure, hearings, mainstream press, it's all one and the same. And then you add into the mix Donald Trump and secret, top-secret documents that he can literally read to the committee in a public global platform that cannot be censored being orchestrated here. Well, you may be right. And uh, if he still is holding these documents back uh, with the Attorney General Merrick Garland's new policy, he can get them to the mainstream press and there's nothing they can do for the reporter. Georgia, you've been very, 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 very patient. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> um, a couple of, of things. I'd like to make a comment on something Barbara brought up and a comment on uh, Stephen. And then I'd like to add my two cents Super. to the whole thing. Uh, first of all, Barbara, I'm so glad you brought up the whole triple cross idea. Uh, for a long time, I've thought that if I were writing this as a novel, Exactly. I would I would have written the fact that everybody knew what a patsy Trump would be and they let him get into that place for disinformation. Yeah. It makes it, 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 it makes Agatha Christie look like an amateur. I but but that that just makes so much sense. The other the other thing about about um what Stephen was laying out you know, if you're trying to capture 
a dog that's loose, you don't smack him with something because you don't know which way he's going to jump. What you have to do is lay out little treats like breadcrumbs, coaxing him into the crate. Well, we know with Brookings' report that the population getting smacked with something huge like disclosure all at once, even though many of us would have loved to have seen all of that take place in the 60s, still, the population getting smacked with that, you don't know which way they're going to jump. If you lay out the breadcrumbs very slowly, very predictably, very gently, then you can best maneuver the reaction that you're going to get. And I think that that's part of why um, Stephen is talking about, you know, laying this out little bit by little bit by little bit. It's not going to be some great big huge smack in the face. Mm. Okay, I can go along with that. Um, of course, uh, the last time that, that we talked, Richard, with um, Rick Levine, uh, we talked about this upcoming week and the intensity of this in so many different mm. facets and functions. And uh, I brought up this, the, the point that uh, every year, you know, there's a, there's a natural cycle um, of matter which has to do with the solstices and the equinoxes. But there's another cycle that has to do with the world discipleship and its meditation cycle. Now, we know, for instance, from studies into transcendental meditation that when a certain number of people are meditating in a city, the crime rate goes down. Oh, the hundredth monkey thing. It's not necessarily the hundredth monkey thing, but that, that could fit in here. We also know that there have been lots of experiments. Well, wait, wait. Let's, let's not pass over that too quickly because we have actual Western hard science left brain data from, I think, Washington, D.C. and several other metropo metropolitan areas where there was a concentrated focus on meditation to lower yeah. crime. And the numbers, the stats show overwhelmingly it worked. It, absolutely. We also know from, in other examples that uh, intention experiments work. Art Bell did uh, several of them. Well, he did one uh, on me. Yes, he did. That's why and, I'm sitting here tonight. Yep. And um, of course, Robin helped know, enormously. I got to say that. <laughs> we also know from uh, the work done with the Consciousness Project at Princeton that you know, Dean, uh, Dean in, Radin. In, yeah, intention works. Well, every year at the full moon of Scorpio, the world discipleship, this is the day, the primary day for grounding intent. And this year, it happens to land on the full moon of Scorpio is November the 8th, our election day. Wow. Which is also the night of a lunar eclipse. Eclipse. So it's it's like tagged as <laughs> a very important day. Alignment, alignment, so, alignment, alignment. Ex exactly. So what I'm proposing is that, you know, we're talking about big world events here. I mean, disclosure huge. is huge, huge. And, you know, people 
sometimes get in this position of feeling kind of helpless and these things are just going on on levels that are beyond us. But this year, everybody can participate, not only by voting and uh, focusing intent by the vote, but the night before and the, the night of the 7th and into the 8th all day long, recognize that there are aspirational people all over the world focusing intent for the truth and for a higher way of functioning. And in the one item that I have in the show notes tonight, it's a quick, very easy, anybody can do it, little technique of focusing intent on invoking the truth. And everybody can be a part of this, not only by the physical vote, but by the metaphysical focus of intent. Yeah, let me, let me tell people how to get there. You go to the banner on the guest page, click on that, and then you'll see right under it, fast links to items. Click on Georgia, and there is item number one, focus of intent for the nation. It's a PDF file. It's very short, but pithy, and the timing is perfect. Yes, Barbara? Oh, no, I'm, I'm just saying thank you so much for that. Well, I mean, this this is extraordinary that that this full moon would fall on election day i mean the 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 odds of that are just astronomical because again every year this is the day when intention is most likely to ground for good or ill so is that an intention for the coming year for the yeah for the coming year yeah so um this is this is the day for everybody to get busy physically and behind the scenes. Well, well, both. How about both? Absolutely both. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the cliche is, of course, that every election is the best and the most important and the critical one and the one uh, of a lifetime. All that. This year, it's it's true. There's Some really are. <laughs> so many radiating things just beyond even the United States in terms of global. I mean, you see the confrontation between us and Putin and the constant specter of nuclear war and all that. Um, How would a Donald Trump handle Putin if he were to be elected in 2024? Would he be even running if the Democrats win in 2022? Or would uh, the the Republicans back in power and endless, you know, uh, uh, assaults on Capitol Hill, impeachments of not just the president, but all his cabinet, which has been discussed. Marjorie Taylor Greene is chairman of some committee. I mean, the, the, the nightmare scenario is so dastardly and horrible, even for governments on both sides, Barbara, that basically do not play fair. We're so far beyond the normal historical precedents that yeah. there, there is no comparison. We've got to have Democrats in control of this government to ensure that the election of 2024 is honest. Yeah. By the way, um, believe it or not, the um, the New York Times and some other mainstream media uh, have reported in the last week, and also, oh no, excuse me, it, yeah, the New York Times last Sunday, a week ago, the cover story of the New York Times magazine special insert in the Sunday paper was on Marjorie Taylor Greene 
And if you read every word, you will learn that the claim is made that she has been in discussions with Donald Trump over being his vice presidential running mate. Oh, my God. And, oh. and of course, the, the issues here are huge. I mean, here in California, it's the, the bluest of blue states, and people are worried about uh, a national abortion ban. Yeah, well, Lin- well, Lindsey Graham has proposed it, and you know, a lot of other major Republicans have basically said, boy." One of the things I wanted to bring up before we lose the hour, because we're almost at the end, I'm watching these polls to where they're now basically on a razor blade. A puff of wind, as some you know, pundit said the other day, could blow. Oh, Gene Robertson, writing for the Post, he said a puff of wind can blow it either direction. That's now, right. Now, you might think that's a bad thing, but Georgia, you and I had this conversation the other night. Tell everybody why this is an incredibly empowering thing. Well, again, this particular time of the year is the time when intent can be made manifest. If the intent is toward the light and the truth, this is the time of year to ground it. If that opportunity is not taken advantage of, then the old separative hateful factors will uh, seize the day and their intent will be the one that will manifest through this next year. Well, I think every single one of us needs to vote and we need to vote as if our single vote determined the outcome. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was saying, Barbara, because the numbers, the statistics say that unlike other elections where you're a herd one among many, literally it will come down to individual choice and votes and getting out, mailing it in, going to vote early, going on election day. In other words, action now is demonstrably from every measure going to make a difference for one side or the other. Yeah, you know, I know um, I'm going to close with this thought, um, but we all need to vote on November 8th or early as if our individual single vote makes the decision, is the deciding vote. Um, I just want to um, remind people, and I know Georgia will love being reminded of this, that on the ancient Egyptian belief system, which I love, uh, when someone dies and they're at Osiris' door, their heart is weighed against a feather. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know if they meant it that way because it's something, it's an interpretation that might be unique to the English language. But for the feather, the feather has to be heavier than the heart. And so you have to have a light heart. So to get into heaven or to get into Osiris's underworld, wherever it is you think you want to go, whatever you think the outcome is a good outcome, just imagine that a single feather, your vote, will make all the difference. And I would, I would add to that, no matter what your philosophic or religious position is, 
find your highest and best place. Make your choices from there and make your choices both physical and non-physical because mm -hmm. thought creates torsion in the field. And if we want to affect the field, it's clear, concise thought that will do it. Yes. You know, I've been looking at the hyperdimensional physics of all this for a very long time. And a couple, oh, <laughs> a, a couple three weeks ago, NASA carried out this so-called DART experiment. And the numbers and the data and the reproducible science, in my mind, irrevocably show us that this was an experiment far beyond just nudging an asteroid out of the way. That was That was the cover story. I don't know how many in NASA know that that was not the only thing that the experiment was going to do, hearkening all the way back to De Palma's spinning object, spinning masses, angular momentum experiments, and all that. But when that spacecraft smashed into Dimorphos and changed its physical orbit, changing the precession and angular momentum of the Didymos Dimorphos system, it had in the physics and I just wish I'd had the Acatron up and running, which I don't, but it, it changed literally the physics of the solar system. It created what um, you know George Lucas wonderfully uh, encapsulated in that line uh, of tremor in the force. And that opening between dimensions, again, which you can see in the geometry of the expanding cloud of debris, which Andrew Curry and I have been looking at, you know, the, the almost the hyper expansion of the internal geometry of Dimorphos at the impact, that shows us that there was a higher dimensional intrusion of from somewhere else into this dimension. And when you and I, uh, Georgia, had the conversation last Sunday night with Rick, I proposed that its real objective was to open a doorway, a gate between dimensions to enhance the conditions for connectivity between consciousness here on Earth and consciousness in higher dimensional realms. And why would you do that? Because there's so much garbage and propaganda and disinformation and misinformation that if people try to use their left brains to figure out who's telling the truth and who's lying more often than not because they're not experts and they can't spend a lot of time uh, anymore doing that they may have 50 50 chance of coming to the wrong conclusion whereas if uh, Georgia they go within and they mm -hmm. seek an internal connection to their higher selves and I'm, I'm talking exactly. literally literally you know dimensionally here yeah. that new window that gate that was opened in my model, has enhanced the, the, the broadband capabilities of the force so they will connect with the truth at a level that transcends the logical left-brain analysis. They will penetrate the noise of the confusion and disinformation and the lies, and they will ultimately arrive at a centeredness that will allow them, when they exercise their vote, their franchise, to make the right choice, the right decision. There's exactly. A word. And, and that's, that's what my 
little technique is exactly for? Well, that's wonderful. There's a word for it. It used to be called gnosis. Mm -hmm. Which means knowing. Direct knowing. Internal direct knowing of the truth. Okay, we've got about three minutes, actually two. Anybody have any pithy things to end this rather remarkable night? You mean it, you mean it hasn't been pithy up to now? <laughs> well, you want to leave them with something pithy, so anybody got pithy on the brain? Well, I, I just want to leave people on a really upbeat note. Um, I have a very good feeling about what's coming, despite the appearances. Um no definitive date. Um, however, uh, there is this, an important physical world symbol, and I think you've seen it, and if you haven't, I'll send it to Keith to post. But there's this photo that NASA took recently of the sun that is literally a happy face. Oh, my. <laughs> Have you seen it? No, I no. Not, no, I, no, I haven't. Seen, I, I, I will go look. I will go look. Well, I'll send it to you. I already did, but um, uh, I'll send it to Keith, and he'll post it. Georgia? Uh, again, uh, I would just reiterate, people, get to your highest and best place and focus clearly your choices, outwardly and inwardly. And... I think it might ride for a couple of years, but after 2025, we have amazing opportunities as a species. Um, and we just need to hang on till then. And all <laughs> I will say is that in less than two weeks, we are going back to the moon for real this time. There are three missions carrying extraordinary cameras, and all it takes is one white crow to prove all crows aren't black. All it's going to take is one image that is irrevocably real to prove their ancient ruins on the moon and everything as to who we are, where we've come from, and where we are going will completely and irrevocably change for the better. So until next week, same time, same bat channel, remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone, and please go out and vote.